Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the growing conservative conversation, and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find us on the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. And we'll hear uh, briefly from the Patriot Journalist at the bottom of the hour. Uh, but first, uh, also check out the Bard's Logic Political Talk at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Dot com. We can contact the host, be a part of our uh, email list, and also uh, look at uh, the list of other guests we've had on the show, as well as links as well. Now, tonight we have, again, a special guest, Amy Murray from the Cincinnati City Council, and we do have her on the line, so let's get things started. Thank you very much, Amy, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Great. How are you, Robert? Oh, I'm doing great. It's uh, great to have you back on. I enjoy it. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, great. I think we're, we're, we're going to have a good time. Uh, and we'll get to the uh, the task force uh, in just a few moments. Uh, but first, okay. the last time you were here, uh, you were running for city council. And yes. congratulations uh, to, to your victory getting on the council. And so just tell us uh, what you've been up to uh, since the election. Thank you. Well, so much for asking that. So, we, I, I won the election. We've been on since 2013 in November. So this council and mayor have been on for a little over a year, year and a couple of months. And it has really been a wonderful, I, I think, year, year and a half for the city of Cincinnati. Um, I, I think in the past, often council was a little dysfunctional and people didn't get along and couldn't work well together. And that's not good for the city. And I think with uh, the new mayor, John Cranley, and with the council that we have, we're really able to work together to move the city ahead. And certainly you have disagreements, but we're able to put aside our differences and really work to try and move the city ahead. So so it's been wonderful. I'm um, chair of, of public transportation and regional cooperation and on the planning commission. And, you know, we just have a lot of great things going on in the city. Um, you know, the two big issues that we had during our election one was our budget had not been um, stable for 10 or so years, and we were able to balance the budget for the first time in a decade. And also we had this looming pension crisis, 
which we were able to um, work through and stabilize our, our pension problem, which was $800 million. So I, I think we're off to a, a great start, and um, you know, I feel really positive about what's going on in Cincinnati right now. Yeah, great. Well, one of the things that I, you know, I paid attention to, I'm not from Cincinnati, but I know, well, I'm from Cincinnati, but I don't live there now. But, mm-hmm. um, however, when my daughter goes to the high school, we're looking at Mercy. And so I consider okay. moving back uh, closer to the area uh, to do that, you know, be closer to uh, her height, you know, be closer to Mercy. But I know what affects Cincinnati also affects my locality as well. Uh, so it's definitely very important. Now, one of the issues that was, uh, important to me, and I'd still like to hear more about. It. Not tonight; that could be for a different time, different show. Uh, be about the streetcar. Um, now, in principle, I you know I like the idea of uh, the streetcar as long as it could be something that'd be you know affordable, <laughs> something that could be paid for. Because um, you know I do like the idea of light rail and pretty much anything that has to do with improving the environment as well. So that's definitely something I I like to at some point uh, hear more about. Well, absolutely, and just the, the real short on that is, if you recall, the streetcar, it was a big issue during the campaign, and we voted when mm-hmm. we were on, first came on council, if we should move forward with the streetcar or not, and, you know, I like the idea of transportation, but at that time, when I looked at the fiscal uh, situation with the streetcar, I just didn't think it was something the city could afford and that there wasn't a good plan laid out of how to pay for it, so I did not vote for the streetcar myself, however, it did pass, and council voted mm-hmm. to pass it, and then uh, Mayor Cranley put it under my committee. And so my committee major transportation is responsible for this streetcar. And so since the city is spending all this money, it's really my fiscal fiduciary responsibility to make sure that it's as successful as it possibly can be. So I've been really mm-hmm. working hard with our streetcar team to make sure it's on time, on budget, and just as successful as possible. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people excited for the street car to come. We, we still have concerns with, with the financial end of it, but we're working through that. Um, but as you said, we could talk about that on a whole nother show. But uh, <laughs> Certainly, certainly. Car, and, and, yeah. Good. Oh, it will be coming to well, September. Well, I think it's in good hands, so it will be interesting to how it develops. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so we're we're working hard on it. So we're, we're moving forward and uh, – and hopefully it will, will be successful and just great for the city. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to see how it how it develops and it comes about. Now, okay, so let's let's get to the task force here. And uh, so tell us how you uh, – it must be an honor you got appointed by the governor, Kasich. Uh, so tell us how you came about being appointed. Sure. Well, I'd gotten a call from um, someone from, from Governor Kasich's office, and then I spoke with Governor Kasich a little later on in the day. And he was putting together a task force. And really looking at some of the issues that we've had in Ohio and that certainly have been throughout the United States with police community relations, um, Governor Kasich thought, you know, I really want to get ahead of this and put together a task force and look at what the issues are statewide and what the possible solutions are and maybe something that we can implement throughout the state. And so he uh, developed this task force, and he wanted to have a, a great representation of people throughout the state of Ohio uh, representing different groups and organizations. And there's about 20 of us on the task force. Um, So there's uh, two people from state reps and two people from our state Senate that are on, uh, from House Majority and House Minority and Senate Majority and Senate Minority. And then there's um, three different law enforcement officers from different parts of the state, a sheriff and a police chief and an officer. 
And so I represent the municipalities. So being on city council, I kind of represent the municipalities throughout the state. Um, and we have the Franklin County prosecutor is on, and there's a, a chief justice designee and a governor designee. So it, it's a really strong group, and for uh, community faith-based leaders from each of the, mm-hmm. the major cities. So um, it, it's it's a good representation of a task uh, of the task force, and, and I was honored to be on it. And it, you know, it's really important work. Yeah, definitely. And and I've seen the list and, you know, seen some impressive names in there. I left a few in the description because, you know, I just have limited space to put it there. Uh, But I did Mm -hmm. see how there definitely is uh, diverse uh, folks on there. Um, So I was pretty impressed by by seeing it. And also uh, seeing that uh, Voinovich on there as well, I believe. Yeah, uh, so uh, Senator Voinovich is an honorary co-chair uh, with Congressman mm-hmm. Lou Stokes and Justice Eve Stratton. Um, and then our chair mm-hmm. is Director of Public Services, John Bourne, and um, uh, uh, Senator Nina Turner. So, de- I'm sorry, Department of Public Safety, John Bourne. So so it, it, it's a good group, and what's happening is we, we came together and we are going to four different locations, at least initially in Ohio, and we've already been to Cleveland and to the Dayton area, and most of these are at universities. And we have expert testimony so that kind of give us the latest in policing and issues and race relations on uh, grand juries on different topics. So we, we have expert testimony on that so that we can learn more about the whole uh, tools and options that are available for us. And then we have public testimony. And um, I think in in Cincinnati since 2001, we've really done a great job or better job with police community relations. And we've put together a lot of different things that have helped that relationship since we did have the riots in 2001. And in Mm -hmm. other parts of Ohio, they're not quite at that point. And we've seen a lot of issues where there's distrust between the police and the community both ways. And so part of the public testimony is really hearing in these different parts of Ohio how citizens are feeling and what their issues are. And so um, on the task force right now, it's a lot of listening and learning throughout the state. Um, I'm heading to Toledo tomorrow and for our, our next one, and then we'll be March 9th in Cincinnati. And then after that, the task force will have meetings where we'll discuss and, and, you know, the governor's hope is that we'll put together, be able to put together a really strong program to provide the governor with strategies to improve the relationship between law enforcement and, you know, primarily the minority communities um, throughout the state. Well, Amy, it's like you're looking at my questions because I think you just answered my 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 ne- <laughs> the next one I was going to ask. Oh no, <laughs> that's go okay. ahead. I'm glad you brought up. I'm glad you brought up uh, grand juries because our our panelist uh, Kelly, which he's not in yet, but uh, we're yes. expecting him to uh, call in. He's he's kind of our residence expert on uh, on that subject as well as we we call him. Uh, constantly are constitutional scholars so when he gets yeah. in i think he wants to even talk about some things regarding uh regarding that with uh, grand juries uh but so tell us about your role specifically as the municipal representative 
So as a municipal representative, it's really to be looking at, and I think that's where a lot of the issues are. So a lot of the issues obviously we're facing are in the urban cities, whether it's Cincinnati or Columbus or Cleveland, it's in that urban core. And so really understanding, you know, the police forces in our urban cores and what we can do to help that those relationships and, you know, I think what we've done in the city of Cincinnati since 2011 is, you know, we've really have brought in a lot of faith-based leaders and people that are in the communities um, so that we have better police community relations. We have that dialogue. Our um, police officers in Cincinnati go to all of our neighborhood community council meetings and it used to be that the regular beat officer would go, and now they certainly go, but we have upped it also so that the the captain of each district also goes to those meetings so that you have people in the community being able to talk directly to the captain of the police department and, and build those relationships. And it's so critical because when something happens in a community, you want immediate information and you need to let people know what's happening. And, you know, now if, if we have an unfortunate incident, you know, in, in, in the city, if a police officer shoots someone, we know the leaders to go to in that neighborhood or in that community. And they're one of the calls that, that are made and to say this is what's happened, this is why it happened, because the community that lives in that neighborhood will call that person. And so we really want to get to the, the key strategy makers in the neighborhoods or the, the key leaders to let them know what, what has happened so that instead of people getting upset and getting false information, they get right information early on. Um, so, so part of my responsibility, I think, as municipality is really to look at, and because I understand closely that relationship of the urban core and the police department. And other people bring in other aspects. You know, we have a prosecutor, so he understands kind of that side mm -hmm. of, of the police community relationships. And um, we have law enforcement officers, so I think we each kind of bring in a, a different, unique skill. A perspective, a different perspective of the situation uh, that each one of uh, the folks find themselves in being a part of that community and the, and the part they play in it. Uh, now, I believe mm -hmm. there have been two meetings uh, since the task force uh, inception. Uh, how did those meetings go, and specifically, uh, what was discussed, and uh, what was uh, put forth uh, with those meetings? Sure. Well, the, the last one that we had was up in near Beaver Creek, so where there had been that that shooting at the Walmart, and right. um, at that meeting we had expert testimony, and one was on the grand jury process. And so it was very interesting because they kind of let us know how the grand jury process works, how they're selected in states that don't have a grand jury, how does that work? Because I think some task force members are looking at, is a grand jury the best way to go about? And, and you know, people are examining every possible option. And uh, everyone on the panel has a different um, education on these different topics, different experiences. And so it's kind of the basics of this is what a grand jury is, this is how we convene them in Ohio, in states where they don't do this, these are the options. Um, so, you know, just things for us to be thinking about, is this the best process to be using in Ohio or not? We also had a, a, a woman that spoke from the Indiana NAACP, and she, kind of, she spoke on racial profiling. Um, and so it, it's just interesting listening to the different testimonies and the different 
Uh, we'll, we'll see reports, psychologist reports and things like that on profiling and different police tactics. So um, it, it's been an interesting uh, experience, and, you know, especially in, in this last one, we were near Dayton. We were at Central State University. Um, you know, people were just very upset about the, the shooting of the young man at Walmart and with police mm-hmm. relations. So we, we heard an awful lot about that. And it was interesting because some people were wondering, you know, in the task force, because a lot of, you know, people that are being killed or injured in any crimes in the state, it's a lot of, of younger millennials or 18 to 30-year-olds. To and, like, some people were concerned mm-hmm. that we didn't have people that age group on the task force. And so, you know, yeah, and that was brought up. And, and, you know, I think the issue is it's a very strategic task force of people that have expertise in different areas, but mm-hmm. every one of our four meetings are at universities. So the meetings are easy for that group to attend and targeted for that group to be able to right. attend. Um, and, Good you know, point. we spend a, a couple of hours listening to everyone's thoughts. So I, I feel like you know that's been really good to to get the input from the community. Yeah, very good point. And I, I guess that's why the, one of the other significant uh, areas that you went to for, I believe, the first meeting was in Cleveland, correct? Mm-hmm. That was in Cleveland. And, and was that been... pretty much the same reasoning for having the meeting there? Yeah. Was, so our meetings are in Cleveland and Toledo um, and Cincinnati and the Dayton area. So the only major area we're really missing is Columbus. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up doing one in Columbus, and I'm assuming that a lot of our, our deliberations or meetings will be up in that area. So it's been in the major cities, but there have been you know, issues in Cleveland also between police and community relations. So um, very hot issues going on right up there. So that certainly is why I was held in Cleveland. Okay, and, and President, I see uh, I've got uh, the panel, so I'm, uh, folks, we'll get you guys on soon, I promise. I just got a few more questions for our guests sure. before I bring the panelists in. Um, is, now, President Obama has his own task force on improving the police community relations, uh, which I believe Cincinnati hosted. Um, now, do you, do you believe this is what spurred Kasich to start uh, an Ohio task force? And in what ways do you think that what's being done here in Ohio uh, can be copied throughout America? Well, you know, it's interesting because I'm not sure which task force came about originally. And, and I think a lot of people were, this is weighing heavily on minds that we've had these issues with police community relations and with, you know, um, un- unfortunately, like we saw in Ferguson where, you know, someone's being shot mm-hmm. by the police. And we've had some issues certainly here in Ohio with that. So I, I think it was one of those things where maybe President Obama and Governor Kasich, you know, kind of came to the same conclusion of we need to do something about this. And Governor Kasich didn't want to wait and see what what's going to happen further in Ohio and said, you know, I want to take the bull by the horns and let's solve this in our state and really led that. And so I wasn't aware of the, the president's task force and that they did come to Cincinnati um, until well after we'd already been underway with our task force. And, and I think, okay. you know, they, they started so copying off you guys. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know who was who, you know, the, the, it's a great <laughs> idea regardless. And I'm, so I'm not right, sure right. which one came first. But um, I, I think in Ohio, because every state is going to be different and it's very unique. And so I, I think we're really able to bring people together from all parts of Ohio 
and look at our individual issues because every city, obviously, Cincinnati and Cleveland are so different, but we also have a lot of similarities. And we have the same types of laws with the grand jury and things like that. So I, I think Governor Kasich was very wise to put this together in Ohio. And, you know, it might be something based on what we come up with then that could be replicated in other states. So we want to be at the forefront of this. And, you know, I think it's great that the governor is leading the way in this effort and in improving these relationships. And I'm glad you used the term leading the way <laughs> because that really leads the way into a good segue to uh, my next and last question I have for me before I bring uh uh, the panel and uh, but first uh, folks after this question we'll just hear uh, a bit from the Patriot Journalist Network and the last one is speaking of leading the way there has been some talk about Kasich being a contender for the GOP nomination for president in 2016 okay uh, yes is there anything that you could comment on this or anything that's, and if you can is uh, what have you heard yeah <laughs> No, I certainly can't comment on anything <laughs> on that. Um, you know, I, I've heard what everyone else has heard. I, I mean, I think Governor Kasich has done a great job in Ohio, and, um, you know, certainly he, he's done well in our cities and communities. But I don't have any comment or, or insider information other than I think what we all see. So it will be interesting in the next few months to see as different Republicans line up, whether it's for – you know, the presidential race or vice presidential. But um, I, I think no matter what, Ohio is going to be a big player um, in that contest because we have so many people from this area that would be possible contenders and that we have the Republican National Convention in Cleveland. Um, mm-hmm. which, which I'm, I'm glad it's planning on having a live show up there. Hmm? Yeah, it makes me a little sad, though. I was on the, the team that we were uh, – that was working to get it in Cincinnati <laughs> – so we oh, yeah. Made our, our, our yeah, that would be great. But, yeah, we were we were hoping we would get it here, but I, I'm glad it's in Ohio. So, you know, we will certainly be Me in the too. spotlight in more than one way in the, in the next 18 months. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm planning on doing it. It would have saved me a five-hour drive and a couple of nights in a hotel room. Um, <laughs> I'm planning <laughs> on doing some sort of uh, some live show from uh, – the convention, I'm, I'm sure, definitely plan on. And I think Gingrich Kasich may have a ring to it. That's one. Of, I said I think Gingrich Kasich uh, may be a ticket that might have a good ring to it. But uh, yeah, yeah, well, uh, I, I digress. Yeah, when we were in Cleveland mm-hmm. for the task force too, you know, luckily the convention will be in the summer. I was up there maybe it was a month ago, and you know, snowing blizzards. So uh, sometimes it's a challenge to to travel the entire state uh, in the winter. Mm. <laughs> so yes, we have, yes. Well, yeah, that'll be good. That'll be another. That'll be another plus. And then just said, hopefully, I'll be out there listening to a new Gingrich speech. But anyway, let's go ahead and bring in the panelists. And then, okay, but first, great. let's hear from the Patriot Journals Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at PatriotJournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And definitely, folks, check out the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www. 
patriotjournalist.com, which, of course, Bard's Logic Political Talk is a proud member. And so I do have uh, – oh, I did see Cindy in there, but I don't see uh, Cindy any longer, I guess. Uh, she got connected. I'm sure, Cindy, uh, you'll be back on. Uh, but first I do – oh, and there she is. So here's how we're going to uh, do it, folks. We'll bring uh, Cindy in first, and then we've got Kelly. And then we have uh, – usually we have Dan Gray on, but uh, he was not able to make it tonight. So we do have uh, a panelist who will be taking uh, his place for this evening, and that is our good friend Joe uh, from New York. So he will be uh, coming in as well. But, folks, we only have about a half an hour left uh, with Amy before she's got to go. So we'll unfortunately have to limit things to about uh, 10 minutes for each panelist for her. So let's go ahead and bring in Cindy from Florida. Thank you very much, Cindy, for calling to the show. How are you tonight? Well, I'm doing pretty good. How are all of you tonight? Doing good. Great. Hi, Cindy. Hi. <laughs> Glad you're here. Thank you very much for coming. Well, you must um, be having nicer weather than we are, but... <laughs> it is. It's very nice here. I got a daughter living in North Carolina, and she's calling. She was texting me today about what they were to expect and how she wished she could have fit the sleds in the car when she left last time. And everything. <laughs> well, our street is lined with snowmen, so it's it's quite uh, pretty. Oh, fun, fun. I Well, you know, it's fun for a little while, but if you get exactly. snowed in. Like, <laughs> I agree. And if I was in New York, it wouldn't be too much fun for very long. Yeah. Well, in Florida, you know, we're infamous for the Trayvon Martin affair, you know. Yes. And um, I just I couldn't help but thinking, you know, <clears throat> it, you know, if there's, there's a lot of what's going on is is gang related crime. It's my minority on minority crime. Mm-hmm. Is there no way to bring the honest, hardworking minority leaders and clergymen who can work with the police? and bring them in together into this um, task force. If you had minorities in a neighborhood watch program, would those people just be in more danger, or would folks and and the young people particularly in their community respect them? Would they listen to them? Could you include maybe a big brother sort of a plan so that those men could perform a kind of preventative agenda, you know, in the community? Uh, start working with the young kids that are the next gang members, you know, give them, you know, so many of them don't have fathers at home. Um, They're Mm -hmm. single-parent families, and sometimes they're large single-parent families, and they get absolutely no attention at all. Um, And uh, I'm just thinking maybe that sort of thing could could help, you know, get other black men, because I know black men who are awesome family men and they're responsible and respectable and and these kinds of things that happen tear them up because they they don't want to see their brothers being uh mistreated by the police mm-hmm. uh and yet they realize that so much uh crime in their in the in the poorer neighborhoods is black on black crime and those kinds of things are very difficult for for a um, a black man who's you know living his life he's living the american dream he's got a wife he's 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 
he's being good to her, he's being good to the kids, he's working, he's he's taking care of himself and, and you know, on the one hand he's feeling like, um, you know, I, it it's possible to live a good life here in America and be black or be Mexican, mm-hmm. be Indian or whatever you happen whatever minority you happen to be. So why are so many of my black brothers, Mexican brothers and sisters, whoever, why are so many of them steeped in crime? Why are there so many coming out of single-parent families? I mean, you know, I'm a Christian, so I see a lot of this from the the viewpoint of of a Christian world viewpoint, which, which is, we're away from God now. This country has pretty much kicked God out the door and said, hey, God, don't let the door hit you on the way out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is the main symptom why this is all happening. But why is it happening in such greater numbers and such larger percentages in the black community? In my view, I think mm-hmm. that it's because I think that um, there is an element of elite politicians out there that want it to stay that way. And uh, they would just assume the rest of us that are in the middle class also descend into that uh, that um, level of uh, despair and this hopelessness. They would like us to go there too. I don't think it's just um, minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, do, do you think there's some way we could add a minority presence in the neighborhood in a, in a sort of a watch program, you know, and maybe a Big Brother program to go along with it? I mean, is that part of your the, the things you guys are talking about in your task force? Sure. I, I think it's a great question, and I think that's definitely something we're looking for in the task force, and it's something that we have been able to do very successfully in Cincinnati and I think in some cities, the, the police community relationships are, are not good on all levels. And even leaders in the, the African-American community don't have the trust of the police and don't trust them and vice versa. And so, you know, what, what we started in Cincinnati right after we had riots in 2001, we're really identifying who are the community leaders, who are the faith-based leaders, and how do we connect to them in these neighborhoods where we're having higher crime and higher violence and reaching out to them, having the officers patrol, go to the meetings and knowing all the people in the community. So I think one of the important things on this task force is that, and when I first saw the task force, I thought it was very interesting, but just right on, is that four of you know our, our 20 or so members are community leaders from the faith-based community. And, you know, one is um, from Dayton. He's with Civil Rights and the NAACP. We have a reverend um, uh, from Cincinnati, a bishop from Youngstown, and a professor from Cleveland, all leaders in the African-American community. So I I think that it's smart that they are part of this because I think that's going to be a big way to help solve this problem and and the police relations is to really work with these faith-based leaders throughout the community. And that certainly is where you have a lot of the leadership in the African-American communities and in the neighborhoods. Um, You know, and and during our talks and public comments, and you mentioned Trayvon Martin, you you know, the, the hardest thing when we're having these public comments is we'll have moms there whose sons have been shot. 
and it, it just breaks your heart. And, um, you, you know, we're very specific on what we're trying to solve because there's a lot of different issues that need to be solved, whether it's, you know, black-on-black black crime, but what we're really focusing on is the police-community relationships and how can we improve that. Um, but, but you know, when you hear these moms talking, and one of them had said in, um, you know, she lives in fear because she had three sons, and she's worried that if they're out and, you know, hopefully they're they're doing good things, but if, you know, they get, get stopped by a police officer, um, you know, the kids get worried and they don't know what to say and they don't know how to respond and, you know, sometimes people run. And, you know, she said, I wish that we had, like, a statement of what our kids should say when they're stopped by a police officer, um, you know, because we try and teach them to be respectful so that you you know to stop these incidences before they escalate, and, yeah. and I think that that's going to be a key thing we're going to have to come up with so that when these incidents do happen, because with a police officer, you know, it's a split second decision when you see someone with a gun, whether you mm-hmm. know if it's a toy gun or if it's a real gun, um, you know. So we want to equip as many young people too with how to deal with this so you don't get put in that situation. Well. Yeah. Well, Cindy, just just in the interest of being able to try to get everybody, um, you know, the other two uh, panels okay. on, I'm, I'm going to have to uh, limit it a little bit because, you know, we only got you know, the hour, and I'm sorry about that, Cindy, uh, but I don't want to be able okay. to get the others in. Uh, well, I appreciate that. And so let's go ahead and bring in Kelly. Kelly, thank you very much, uh, from California, uh, for coming to the show. He's, uh, as I said earlier, our uh, what we call a resident constitutional scholar, and also, of course, and you have to admit this, Kelly, I know you're a humble guy, but uh, our expert on the grand jury. So go ahead, Kelly. Thanks for coming to the show. How are you? Well, thank you. I mean, and, you wrote a book um, about it, my friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. I, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, and first of all, congratulations on winning your election. I think that's just awesome that we had a guest that we helped promote, and she won. Well, and I appreciate it so much, and as a fiscally responsible Republican, it's hard in urban cities to win. And so I appreciate all of the support from Robert, from you guys, from the community, um, because I I, I think in cities you want to have a diversity of people on city council. So I'm glad that I can be there and have an impact and really appreciate all the support. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad I... I'm sorry I missed the first 15 minutes. It was a local issue that they were really glad because I talked about the Fourth Amendment and planning departments deciding to go on people's property and without a warrant and then abate things uh, without a warrant. Anyway, it's a local issue, so I had to attend that meeting. But here I am. And and I'm on planning commission for Cincinnati, so I, I find those issues fascinating. Oh, I am really... i got to send you something because... I have traced the roots of the, of the planning departments to a yes. socialist, um, Ebenezer Howard in England. It's it's frightening. They are fulfilling tenets of the Communist Manifesto through the planning department. It's frightening. And, and what part of California are you in? I'm up in uh, Siskiyou. We're on the Oregon border. Okay. Oh, beautiful. Oh, have you been here? I, I have actually. I, I worked for Procter and Gamble for many years, and I was in in uh, Southern California with Procter and Gamble, but spent a lot of time throughout the state. Oh yeah, we got the beautiful second most photographed mountain in the world. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, wow. Yeah. So gosh, yeah. Planning. I. The, 
Okay, I don't want to get on a rabbit trail here, but I that's know. Really All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you're on because we need we need conservative-minded people on the planning commission because the socialists have figured out that nobody wants to be on it and through that they are controlling our land in ways that are fulfilling tenets of the Communist Manifesto. It's frightening. But all right, back to our topic. A um, couple things I wanted to ask you about, and then I want to discuss um, the utilization of the grand jury to bring peace. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Ferguson, we had Dan Johnson. He's He was with Panda now. He's uh, Solutions Institute. He was on the ground in Ferguson, and he talked about the kettle that was about yeah, ready to boil over because yeah, people were getting Yeah, he some kind of link today, actually. I'm sorry, Kelly. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. and he's he, the kettle was already boiling. Mm-hmm. And when the, the, the brown situation happened, it, it boiled over and it was a mess. But what was happening in Ferguson was the uh, police department and the, the courts needed a new building and possibly more money to add to their pension, whatever. And so they were ticketing people excessively. In one neighborhood, he found like 25 out of 100 people had outstanding warrants because they didn't show up to pay their fine. Mm-hmm. And it was a re- revenue generation thing. And I saw, you know, on Fox then when the verdict, the, the grand jury uh, decision came out, the police were heavily guarding their brand new building. Um, so I'm wondering if that excessive ticketing was causing the kettle to boil and then Michael Brown boil over. So it's something, are you mindful of this? Is this a problem? Is it not? Is it nothing even to look at? But it's, I recently helped a friend. He got $1,600 in fines dismissed. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, he had no probable cause to pull the guy over. The judge saw it. I wrote a letter. Here you go. He got $1,600. Uh, he switched. Um, he saved over $1,600 in 15 minutes by switching to no probable cause. But this is the system we have. Sacramento County, I used to live there in Sacramento, a million-plus people. Yes. And um, 30000 a day is what one court person told me that they were generating from tickets. I mean, the dockets wow. were full. The courthouses was full. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's, And I know local agencies need money, but is this a problem that's creating angst, if you will, angst yes. amongst the citizenry? Yes. So what 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 I, I think works really well with the way this panel has been set up is we're still, as I had said before, we're in listening and learn mode. And so we have expert testimonies at each of the four different cities that we're going to. And then we're having we have public comment. And, and what's fascinating about that, Kelly, is you know, in Ohio, I'm in southwest Ohio, Cincinnati. And so sometimes we feel more connected to Indiana and Kentucky. And then if you're uh-huh. up towards Cleveland and Toledo, you're closer to Michigan. And so it's very different. And so if I'm thinking from my mind set of Cincinnati, of northern Kentucky, and our issues going on here, I might miss, like you said, there might be a ticketing issue or other things that are causing issues throughout the rest of the state. So part of when we're going uh, to all of these cities is we have a couple of hours minimum that we have public comment and that people come up and everyone is welcome and invited to speak and um, 
and you know we'll be there as long as it takes for everyone to be able to say what they're thinking and we have a time limit per person but everyone that's there obviously can speak and so that's interesting because I'm learning different things in different parts of the state and it certainly depends on who comes but it's well advertised and it's at universities so your question's a great one and I have not heard anything about that in the two places that we've been so far so you would think if there were issues like that coming up, we would be hearing them, um, and that hasn't come up yet. But but I'm glad that we're taking the time before we sit there and decide how should we solve this to really understand what are people thinking and what are their concerns. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Here's a little side note before I go into the grand jury uh, possibility. Yeah. Um, I I've got a really good respect for our local law enforcement here in Siskiyou County. Mm-hmm. I know the sheriff, I know the DA, I know supervisors, whatever. It's a small town feel, so you can get to know them. And yeah. They treat me with respect. They've let me go once when I was driving my cell phone. But um, When you were doing what? I was on the cell phone, and the guy just pulled me over and gave me a warning. That was it. But um, the previous sheriff, mm-hmm. um, Riggins was his name, he put local guys on the street. And I'm pretty sure that's our um, uh, uh, police chief, uh, Brian Bowles, good guy. They're putting local people into these positions, and they are um, the people are interfacing, interacting. And it really, and, and there's been studies on this that the um, ID crimes go down quite a bit when um, the police are out there in, in the streets from the you know, community and. Mm-hmm. Um, even I've got a law enforcement friend. His son and my uh, his sheriff's deputy. His son, my son, they're like best buds. He called me yes. today to do some engineering. But just and he says this. He's he's going. He has a lot of people. They'll knock on his door sometimes. You know, once or twice a week they'll do that. And that local feel. He really sees that it. it's kind of a. He's a Christian. He kind of calls it a ministry, but he really helps people. And so that that idea of local is bringing a lot of uh, peace, if you will, and lowers the, the petty crimes. So mm-hmm. um, that's just a, a little tip. There's probably somebody in law enforcement to tell you about that study. Anyway, all right, now back to the grand jury. I like what you're doing with the uh, forums that you're having and you're listening to yes. people. Have you ever considered um, asking the grand jury of uh, you're in which Hamilton County? Is that right? I'm in Hamilton County. Yes. Okay. To ask the grand jury to you come the best forward. Tasting water. <laughs> Pardon? Best tasting water. <laughs> I said we were I said Hamilton County is better at the best tasting water in the world. But go ahead, uh, Kelly. <laughs> oh yeah, I, they just won a, a record. You're right. <laughs> go ahead, okay. Kelly. Sorry. Well, we got we we now have her on record for the best tasting water. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So. Um, a way that can help, I think, to get a really good feel of the community's view of the uh, local police is to ask the Hamilton County Grand Jury to have a town hall meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if it's set up like California, every state's different, but um, the Grand Jury could have, like, a two-minute comment, and then submit your uh, petition in writing. And uh, you might have people lined up out the door and down the street, but 
at least um, you'd get a really good feel. And grand juries, like in Florida, they did a study on the traffic. Uh, grand juries have uh, wide capacities. But if you propose that, it would help the people understand, and, that, and there's movements going about the grand jury, but if you propose that the, and you can just write the grand jury, mm-hmm. uh, that they have a town hall to uh, understand what the community's feel is of the local police department. Um, it's kind of a radical thing, but it actually can be done. And so people can come and say, well, you know, this officer beat the crap out of me. And, you know, Rodney King was a situation where the grand jury got involved, Ventura County. Mm-hmm. Also because the, the video kept getting aired over and over and over on yeah. Fox News. And the grand jury indicted uh, the officers. Eventually they were tried. They went to jail. Um, David Warren in New Orleans, he shot a, um innocent person he thought was a looter. The guy eventually died. Well, the New Orleans Police Department took his, his body. There's four of them involved. Put it in a car on top of a berm, and they burned it. Grand, federal grand jury indicted him. But the, the grand jury is an incredible instrument of peace. And most times, that's, I'm, I'm just guessing here at the numbers, but I'd say um, 85% of the time the grand juries see that the officer was in a position of self-defense. Mm-hmm. And when a task force to investigate the, the peace between the police and the citizenry, if the citizenry understands the power of the grand jury, that they can go to the grand jury to deal with if there are Rodney King abuses or if it was self-defense. It is an instrument of peace in such a degree that um, it, it just produces peace, period, whether it's a no-true bill or whether it's it's a, an indictment off to trial. Uh, very few people understand the grand jury that it's composed of everyday citizens that have the power to investigate and hold government accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's something that I would I would propose in your committee. And I, I want to go ahead and give you my phone number if you want to talk afterwards about this. Absolutely, that would be great. I, I'd appreciate it. And, and I'm not a lawyer, so, uh, you know, with the grand jury and all of that, we're, we're learning a lot, and, and we certainly have some lawyers on the, the panel, but I am not a lawyer by trade. Uh, well, so. people ask me if I'm an attorney, and I say, no, I'm honest. Yes, I can help facilitate that, uh, Kelly. Cause I'm, you know, I'm sure you don't want to give your, your <laughs> number yeah. out on the air, so I've got uh, I've got some ways where I can. Uh, get that conveyed uh, over to her if you like. That would be great. Okay, because, yeah, again, the theme is it is a great instrument of peace. Well, and one thing that we've put together in in Cincinnati is we have a citizen complaint authority, which uh, we we put together after our riots. And so it's a board that citizens are able to go to if they feel that there have been issues with the police. And what I'd heard at our last panel discussion when it was on the grand jury, and it was interesting, and this is just, you know, what the audience and what public were saying is they had issues with the grand jury because the person that presented, let's say if an officer had shot someone, the person that presents it as a prosecutor, and and in some places there was just such mistrust that they felt like the prosecutor, you know, could withhold information or share what they want with the grand jury, and this was just what people were telling us how they were thinking of it. Um, but but I think with the Citizen Complaint Authority, at least in Cincinnati, they get very high marks. 
because they really do go in and research and, and look if there were any issues. And so I, I think that that's been very helpful and, and a good tool for us to use. Well, yeah, the, if the grand jury knows their, their power, they can hold a town hall meeting. Mm-hmm. They can investigate on the own and say, you know, shut up, prosecutor, sit down. You don't control us. We were never created for you. Um, yeah. Court case, court case, court case. Anyway, <laughs> but it, it's a great instrument. Yeah, Kelly, of, you know, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fine. Well, I'll get, get her in the murder yeah. and we'll talk Yeah, Kelly, I'm going to bring Joe in. Yeah, but okay, I'll, definitely, uh, Thanks, I'll, I'll definitely convey that information. Yeah, yeah and I don't want to rush, but I don't want to be able some... to keep. Yeah, real quick, then I'll bring Joe in because I want to be able to, we can. Yeah, real quick, Cindy, but you know, I do want to be able to keep within, uh, get Joe in and also be able to keep us within uh, the time for Amy. So uh, go ahead. Oh, just real quick. Just real quick, I wanted to say that the the grand jury is, is the way to go because it's the people deciding. It's not it's not the courts that could be bought mm-hmm. off. It's not the it's not the police saying this or that. It's it's um it's it's just regular people. And and I think that that could go a long way in squelching some of the the, the violence that comes out of uh, the mistrust that people have for the judicial system. That's mm-hmm. all. Thank you. Thanks, Cindy. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and uh, bring Joe in. Uh, Joe's our alternate panelist uh, for tonight uh, from New York, our friend Joe. Thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you? Very good, Robert. Thank you for having me on. Hi, Joe. Oh, thanks for coming, buddy. Cindy. Uh, Councilman Amy Murray, first of all, I want to say what a privilege and a, a pleasure it is to uh, have you on Robert's show. And um, you definitely have a very, very impressive record uh, serving as the chair of the Major Transportation Regional uh, uh, Cooperation Committee, the vice chair for the Budget and Finance Committee, and Economic Growth and Infrastructure Committee. So you definitely have a proven uh, record of leadership as a councilwoman in Cincinnati. I'm also very impressed with your 14 years of experience with Parker & Gamble and the fact that you... Uh, were involved in global business development uh, uh, in uh, in Asia, and uh, I'm very impressed that you also are fluent in uh, Japanese. So you definitely do have a cultural understanding, uh, being that you have experience in dealing with um, with your experience in Asia. So uh, I definitely think that um, you are definitely the right person for the job to, based on your record, to help bridge. Um, the gap between the communities and um, the police force. Uh, But I wanted to ask you um, a few questions about the uh, grand jury proceedings in Ohio and how comfortable you would feel going forward with that based on what you know. Uh, Because I know you said in the beginning of the show, you, you know, you were not sure if the grand jury was the best option to go with. Um, and I wanted and, and to let know, me just change that. Some people on the panel didn't know if they thought that was the best way to go forward. Sorry, am I misunderstanding? So, yeah. No, well, I, and I, I might have misstated it. So, yeah, some people on the panel were not sure, and they were questioning it. Do you believe that uh, the grand jury, uh, on a personal level, do you believe that the grand jury, in, in the way that it operates uniquely in Hawaii, in Ohio, do you think that would be the best way from your perspective going forward? 
from the testimony that I have heard from the experts in this area, and we still have two more months of work to do on this, but from what I've heard and from prosecutors and people that I've talked to, I do think it is. Um, I, I think it, it's a good procedure because if we don't have that, then it's really the, the prosecutors making the decisions, um, at least here it would be. So um, I am comfortable and think that's a good way to go forward at this point based on the testimony and, and uh, information that we've heard so far. And um, also um, I wanted to bring up uh, another um, topic, which I think is very fascinating because um, you know, Cindy brought up uh, a very valid point about the uh, Trayvon Martin case uh, that occurred in uh, Florida a few years back and, um, you know, different isolated cases that have occurred in different states such as um, Ferguson, Missouri, and uh, even recently the Eric Gardner case in my home state of New York. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually, uh, based on the uh, Office of Criminal Justice services, what I really find impressive about uh, Ohio is that between 2013 and 14, there actually was a 6.5 decrease in violent crimes and a 4.1 decrease in property crimes. So with those statistics, which each state does have a different, uh, each state will have different uh, statistics, some states will have a higher crime rate than others. Uh, going forward, knowing that Ohio, um, the crime rates are decreasing um, mm -hmm. and have decreased over the past few years, do yes. you feel confident um, from your perspective going forward that um, you can safely say that Ohio has significantly made progress in um, decreasing the crime, and uh, do you believe that that is due to an increase in the uh, relations and bridging the gap between the police force of Ohio and uh, the uh, communities. So I, I could certainly speak for Cincinnati, and we've just gotten our statistics, and our violent crime and, and uh, crime has definitely gone down in the last year to two years significantly, and uh, murders and, and things like that. And, and I think part of the reason we've had that uh, decline here in the city is you know, everyone has very tight budgets, and our old city council and administration had not hired any new police officers for five years. And so we were really low in the count of police officers. And so being able to do strategic policing was more difficult because we were at such low numbers. So with our current city council, we immediately hired 20 lateral recruits, and that's lateral meaning they were with other police departments throughout the county that were already pretty much trained so they just had to do you know a smaller amount of training and then they were on the Cincinnati police force and then we hired our first recruit class in five years of 60 officers that just recently graduated and, and so I think that is part of it I think if you don't have enough boots on the ground it's going to be hard to deal with the problems and you're you're putting out fires continually and you're having a harder time being proactive and building these relationships with the communities so I, I think part of our decrease in crime is that we do have more police officers on the street and we will continue that so that you know that they, they, they have better policing options I do think that is a fascinating statistic, and uh, I do hear that you are definitely a believer in long 
range planning and robust budgeting uh, processes, and you believe in fiscal responsibility, economic development, and strong public safety. Uh, and I do believe those are, those are very key uh, fundamental uh, values and also very key to uh, making a, uh, a positive outreach in those communities that feel they have been uh, neglected. Uh, and uh, definitely I think that your vision is one that uh, definitely leads by example and uh, would definitely be a great example for other states to follow. Uh, if I may ask one more question, uh, going forward, um, what is your platform uh, that you would like to see implemented or that you believe if, if, you, if, it, uh, if, if that platform is implemented going forward, um, what is your platform that you would uh, propose um, as you're going across the different cities in Ohio that um, you think will resonate with uh, many of the citizens of Ohio? Sure, and and part of it is we still have two more major cities to go to to really see what the issues are, but I, I think Cincinnati is a leader in this area because we've had much better police community relations in the past 10 years. And so I, I'm really wanting to hear and see what issues are in other cities, but I think a lot of it is uh, improving the relationships between the police and the citizens, and I think that can be done a lot through the neighborhoods and having police officers going to the neighborhood community meetings, being part of the environment, being part of it. So I, I certainly would think that that's got to be part of um, the proposal that we put forward. And I think that there will be a lot of elements to it, but I think we're we're too early to even discuss what they are. But just looking at what we've had in Cincinnati um, with the Citizen Complaint Authority, that's been very uh -huh. successful. So we'll certainly bring up things that have been successful here and things that haven't worked and, and try and make the best plan. And, and, you know, and I appreciate what you had mentioned before, and sometimes I forget it. I had lived in Japan in high school as an exchange student, and so we all bring our own personal history to everything that we look at. And it is interesting because when I was in Japan, I was in a smaller community and, and was definitely a minority and would go weeks without seeing another foreigner. So it is funny when you're thinking about this, I can put myself in other people's shoes um, having had that experience. Well, Amy, uh, I'm sure glad that you, uh, I, I have every faith and confidence that based on your uh, impeccable background and uh, your record, that you are definitely uh, the right person for the job. And uh, I hope that other uh, cities and I hope that uh, other states can uh, learn a lot from uh, your platform and uh, see um, how the policies that you've implemented so far are working and how they uh, and what uh, you plan to do moving forward to have them continue to work. And, uh, Amy, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Joe. You're welcome. Yeah, and definitely, I do see it's about the top of the hour, and, uh, Amy, I really appreciate you staying on. Of course, you know, you're always welcome, and just like all the guests are, to, to stay on uh, as long as you like. But I know uh, I was told by David that you'd be able to give us an hour, so I want to give you the opportunity to uh, have any closing thoughts if you'd like, and then uh, we can let you go on and, and finish your evening. No, I, I just appreciate the opportunity to share this, and, and I think it's, you know, a, a great 
policy that the governor has put in place. And as I said, I'm getting up early tomorrow to head to Toledo, so we'll have our next group there. And it's just it's fascinating getting to know all the different areas in the states and the interest and the different concerns. And hopefully we'll be able to put together a really solid plan for Ohio that will work here and that maybe could be uh, implemented then in other states. So I, I appreciate your giving me this opportunity to, to share what we're doing on the task force. And we're supposed to have our proposal together by the end of April, so maybe we can get together in May and I can fill you in on what the results were. I, oh, I my wanna, gosh, yeah, wanna, that'd be great. I'll, yeah, I'd keep, I, uh, yeah. Like to, and I'll, I'll get that uh, information to you. Uh, tour for you, Kelly, and also, yeah, I'm looking forward to having you back on, Amy, and I'll also look forward when uh, we have you on when you're running for mayor. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I had to throw that in, Amy. I couldn't I help know. myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much. This has been really enjoyable. Well, I don't well, think we there's appreciate anything it. about uh, that. We'll I think she could be mayor. <laughs> I think oh, she should you know, be mayor. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll do one step at a time. I'm loving being on city council I right you're now, say and, that. and uh, right. luckily in the, the city right now we have a really good mayor. And you know what I what I, I really like in our city now is that we just don't have all the partisan politics. And even though our mayor is a Democrat, he looks at people that are best for positions and says, you know what, you're great at this, so I'm going to make you chair of major transportation or vice chair of this committee where. You know, sometimes you have mayors that will only select people from their party, whether they're the best person for the job or not. So, um, you know, it's it's really nice to see this collaboration. Well, well, you know, you know why that is, Amy. And only the local people listening to the show will understand this. And gosh, if I don't have my information correct, I'm going to look really stupid. But it's because he's an elder grad. <laughs> <laughs> that, that he's able to do that. I should know this. I'm. I was thinking he was a. Is he an elder? I was thinking he was saying X, but I could have it wrong. I thought he was the elder. Maybe I'm thinking. You know what? I might be thinking someone else, but I thought he went to elder. Well, maybe well, he had some elder uh, friends from elder high school. <laughs> I'm going to look that up. I thought for sure he was. I thought for sure he was with. Uh, went to elder because I know. Um, I you know some of his. Uh, oh wait, maybe that's three houses. <laughs> three houses went to that elder the, for sure. They bleed purple. Uh, uh, I might be confusing here. him with the Dre houses. <laughs> yeah, I'm confusing him with the Dre houses. As I said, only the local folks will know what we're talking about I here. But, okay. Exactly. Well, see, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you corrected me. I'm glad I remember the Dre houses, so at least I don't have that much egg on my face. But uh, <laughs> we'll appreciate it, Amy. We do look forward to, to having you on. I will uh, make sure that I get uh, Kelly's information to you. That would be great. Thanks so much. Have a good evening. Have a, You're Have a safe trip. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Good night. Yeah, folks, and uh, if you'd like to hear uh, the interview that we had with her uh, back in, uh, I guess, 2013 when she ran for city council, uh, then uh, check the show out. Uh, and it was, you know, it was a good show, and I'm, I'm glad, as, as you said, Kelly, uh, that she got uh, got elected. And who knows, maybe we'll We'll be talking to a mayor, Amy Murray, at some point uh, in time. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But first, what I want to do is I have uh, had someone who I would like to have gotten on the show tonight, um, and you know, but he was unable to make it. And so he sent me a message on Facebook, and I want to once I refind it, 
I want to be able. I want to read it uh, because I do think it bears some reading, and I told him that I would. And so let me find this um, and see what your thoughts are. You know, here on the panel. And uh, for those who are listening to the show, if you'd like to chime in on the topic tonight, uh, just give us a call at three four seven nine four five seven four two eight. If you'd like to chime in, we still have plenty of time on the show this evening. So give us a call at 347-945-7428. And I do see uh, folks on the line, so just push the one on your number dial uh, if you'd like to uh, let me know you want to chime in. But first, uh, let's hear from this gentleman a message he sent on Facebook. Okay, and this is Mel uh, Pressler. And thank you, Mel, for your comment, uh, if you're listening to this on the archives. I mean, <laughs> yeah, on the archives. Uh, and I want to see what, as I said, uh, the panelists' thoughts on this is. Now it says, some ideas, S-T-T-A, that's the, uh, for skills, trait, talents, and abilities, are God-given and not given in equal portions. Differences are culturally developed insofar as differences in behaviors of sex, race, national ethnicity, and that is what we fuss over. No two groups of people steps into the same river of life. Cultural diversity does not decide who is most important. The contributions one makes for the good of the whole by his STTAs, and that's skills, traits, talents, and abilities, is our true diversity and importance, in my humble opinion. Repeating an old thought, it is about true or I'm sorry, it is about poor, true self-esteem and lack of knowledge of choice. Once again, I say, the mental side of life is made up of three areas of function, thinking, feeling, and willing. The key to thinking is knowledge. The key to feeling is appreciation and gratitude. Willing is our behavior, the result of our knowledge and feeling. If your knowledge is poor without spiritual principles, he has in parentheses, and your feelings are angry or overly hyped, it will be difficult to behave properly. Maybe just another example of why spiritual principles need to be in our lives. We do not get our knowledge by corresponding with the environment. I disagree with that, but anyway. Your friends and surroundings, example, family, friends, the street, gangs, TV, Video games, my favorite now, <laughs> music, Hollywood, etc., do shape our process. Life is defined in four words. Life is correspondence with the environment. Another instance, while we may wish to place or call attention to the efforts of the ACLU and Hollywood in our country and now even our government, why stop teaching of spiritual principles in schools? How to destroy a nation. Garbage in, garbage out. Do not remove the knowledge of choice. Knowledge of spiritual principle is power. It can save lives and souls, hey? What is missing to make people do these terrible things, like shootings or rapings of fellow students and strangers and movie houses and malls, and now a shooting of another person because of boredom or anger? We need to maintain balance between the knowledge of good and evil. Let the show continue. We will continue to concentrate on removing guns, the symptom, and not the cause. Ridiculous, isn't it? Just my opinion. 
Will freedom of the use of pot, he is in quotations, help clear the minds of our youth? We seem to be going in the wrong direction, in my humble opinion. And now riding after sporting events and even court decisions, too. The home teachings of spiritual principles of right and wrong and or spiritual disciplines must again be reinforced in the home to support good decisions. In every thought we have, in every word we speak, and in every action we take, let us do so from an attitude of appreciation and gratitude with respect for ourselves and others, and let us daily, in some small way, provide a service to humankind for the glory of God. We can damage someone's self-esteem, we can enhance one's self-esteem, but we cannot give self-esteem to anyone as a gift. Self-esteem is a byproduct of doing the right thing. Let's help our youth build self-esteem, provide the opportunity through community involvement and training programs to do so. The churches are empty. God is being removed from the family vocabulary. Hollywood, the ACLU, and now our government wishes to remove spiritual knowledge. Think to know him, I now kneel. It is not illegal yet. If youth are trained as to what to expect when encountering law enforcement and how to respond to maintain both their and their officer self-esteem would help tremendous. And I said that is from Mel Presslar, who responded to uh, the post of the show on Facebook. So hopefully I said that in a way that everyone could uh, have that all sink in so they can make some comments on it. So hopefully I did a good job at that. And first, we'll start with uh, you, Cindy. I, I, just by some of the things I read, I would think that there would be some agreement with you, correct? Yeah. I mean, it's a long letter, so I don't. I, I didn't take notes, so I can't remember exactly everything you said. Yeah, but, well, it's um, as long, some of it seemed a little discombobulated, but that's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, it's it's very deep. I'll give it that. <laughs> it's very deep. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I... I um, I think that, uh, like one thing he said about it, uh, the guns being a symptom, um, I, I was reminded of the, you know how I, I I brag about my grandson all the time because he's just so funny and he's so adult, you know. He, um, he took one of his little brother's toy guns and he broke it at the place where you put the caps in. It was a cap gun. And and he started right. making the gun the gun look like it's talking. He says, uh, "I wish I could remember everything he said because it was so funny." But basically, he was like, "The gun is talking to you." And he goes, "Now, I want you to know, I want you to get this straight once and for all. I don't kill people. People kill people." And and he goes on and on. <laughs> That's you know, hilarious. And, I, I, I'm, <laughs> and, and I mean, the things he was saying was just hilarious. You know. Um, but anyway, um, it, it's, those things are just symptoms of what's going on in our communities. Um, if people don't have guns to use to kill other people, they're just going to find another method. Um, and the, the problem with banning guns and banning ammo and, and all that is that it, it never seems to, uh, it, it always seems to only take guns out of the hands of the honest people, mm-hmm. the good people, and those people who are uh, horrible, violent people, they're going to find those guns somewhere, somehow. They'll steal them, they'll 
go overseas to get them. They'll go to the black market to get them. You know, they'll do anything they have to to get a gun. Um, They'll even kill a policeman to get them, you know. So, So it doesn't really... It doesn't really do any good to take guns out of the hands of everyone. Um, and that is very clearly seen in other countries where they have taken guns out of the hands. The only thing, the only reason that the Mexicans are in the trouble that they're in right now is because they have nothing to defend themselves with. They are at the mercy of these drug cartels because they have nothing to defend themselves with. And and that is because that country, as well as ours, have have just uh, just thrown God out of uh, of their their government life, their public life. Um, and when when people have no fear of any God that they have to answer to, um, then who is there to who is there to be afraid of? Um, the federales. They're part of they're part of the uh, the gang, so you just have to be in the right gang. You know, you just have to have the right federales on your side. Um, you just grease the palm of the right guy. You know, the right police officer or the right you know military officer, and um, that's the way it's going to be here pretty soon because we're we're neglecting the real problem, which is the moral fabric of America. Is unraveling, and um, there is no respect for human life. There's no respect for one another, and there's no trust in these communities between the police and the criminals, or even the neighborhood people that aren't criminal. There's no trust because there's there's no uh, there's no common thread to bring them together. Um, they know that any day, any day a police officer can be just like uh, one of the gang members around there and the gang members um, are, are, don't care about the, the people you know because it's just dog eat dog you know it's, it's, it's um, the natural selection whatever you know, they've been taught evolution and they've been taught um, there's no God. And so why not? It's it's every man out for himself. It's the strong survive. Um, weed out the weak ones and, you know, hang with the, hang with the strong ones. So, you know, that's, that's where we're at. And um, it, it's sad. Um, it's tragic, actually. And I wish there was more I could do about it. Uh, but I think she's, the congresswoman, uh, excuse me, the councilwoman has a good congresswoman a good opportunity. to be. <laughs> I guess. She has a good opportunity to to be a part of changing that trust issue. So I hope I hope things go well. I wish her the best. And Kelly, what's your thoughts on uh, what uh, I was reading there from uh, our friend Mel? Me? Yes, Kelly. Yeah, you, Kelly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was still kind of defragging after my meeting with the 
people that are opposing the planning department that want to come on your property without a warrant, and they can come and do whatever the hell they want without a court order. But anyway, very intense night. So I'm, I'm going to have to listen a little longer is what I'm saying. I do want to talk a little bit more about some of my research on planners. Not now, but, you know, a little bit later. Well, yeah, Kelly, when you say do, that... Uh, whole shows on that, yeah. Wouldn't you say, Kelly, that it's a good thing that people like um, our guest tonight um, would would be, you know, uh, I mean, to have someone I'm that glad she's on, on the planning commission. She's on the planning commission. Yeah. I'm very glad. Right. Rather well, than here, here. others. <laughs> right. Well, here, here's here's a question for you. What's one of the most important questions in life? Who owns Why am I land? here? No. <laughs> no. Why am I here? Yeah, yeah. That. Well, the questions I have lately is why does Bart why why does this this uh, man self proclaimed pagan keep turning this into the gospel hour? His name is Robert. Yeah. And, and you know what? <laughs> I, I told this guy I, I had no I read it and you know I glanced over it and I said you know some of you know, some of it sounds good I'll read it and I said I would read it and so I see seen the opportunity to do it and there it is and and here here's here's the reason Kelly is, you know, regardless of what religious dogma I adhere to, one thing I do uh, concede to, and one thing I see to is I know that, you know, the United States was, found, you know, the foundation of the United States was uh, based off Judeo-Christian values. I mean, there's nothing I can see or do about that regardless of my individual beliefs. And, you know, and of course, you know, most of the conservatives, you know, those who listen to the show, uh, do have that you know religious background, and, uh, and I you know, and that's why I say this is your show, the people show. It's not mine, but this is what the people want to uh, want to talk about. This is what the you know the folks who listen to the show uh, think, and it's it's their show more so than I would say my show. So that that's pretty much. Uh, I hope that answers that for you, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what's well, what's stunning about you, Rob, Robert, is that. See, most, most talk show hosts, they go, blah, 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 let's have a guest. Oh, 30 seconds is done. Now my opinion, blah, 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 my opinion. Oh, we have another guest, three seconds. Oh, now my opinion, blah, blah. No, you're the opposite of that. You're like, you, you listen to people, and you're just, yeah. you're facilitating, but it's huge. To control your mouth is absolutely stunning, and I've never, ever, I don't think I have, I don't, I've never charged you with violating the eighth. It, it's so stunning. I appreciate but, uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking well, of violating the eighth, let's uh, bring Joe in. <laughs> yeah, Robert, I, I think you touched on something really key there, and and that is so true. And uh, it, it, it's 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 a core part of our American history is that our founding fathers, the framers of our Constitution, and our country was founded on Judeo-Christian uh, values. And I'm really glad you brought that point up uh, because uh, that it, that was really key to the framers of our Constitution and how they framed um, our uh, Constitution. Uh, and um, uh, first I want to say, uh, Mel, if you're listening to the show, um, you definitely picked the, uh, the the best show to chime into because uh, what, 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 how Robert makes this show unique from other hosts and other shows is he gives the power of the show to the people so that the people, we the people, can have uh, our say uh, and, and bring up our points and have healthy political discourse. And so I, I think um, 
what Mel was trying to um, articulate, what I interpreted from um, his message is, um, you know, over the past 40, 50 years, there's been a, a very steadfast decline in American values. And, um, you know, today's times, we now live in a society where uh, there are a lot of children born out of wedlock, and you have a lot of uh, children who are born uh, with all with only single parents raising them. And um, I think a lot of uh, conservatives will agree that there's that lack of um, American values and that lack of uh, Judeo-Christian uh, principles. And um, there's not a lot of good role models uh, out there uh, or a lot of uh, as many community leaders or as many... Um, you know, uh, congregations speaking out uh, against, um, you know, the um, what Cindy was saying at the beginning of the show, the uh, the high crime rates, especially with the uh, black on black crime rates in the um, you know um, uh, communities, and so uh, I kind of understand where Mel was going with that. I think what he was trying to articulate was. Um, that, um, you know, um, a lot of our problems stems from, um, you know, the decline in, in our values and that, you know, you have, have so many children being brought up um, not having the right uh, environment or not having the guidance of uh, loving parents that can teach them right from wrong. And it's very easy for them to fall into the cracks uh, because, you um, uh, for many uh, cities, a lot of these children, uh, uh, they're, not, they're not people. They're just numbers. And so um, I believe that, you know, um, to each is his own. For some people who don't practice religion still believe that uh, whether you do choose to practice religion or not, I, I do believe that um, instilling um, uh, good values and good upbringing uh, is going to be the key to um, producing uh, our next generation uh, and producing leaders and actually people who can contribute to society in a positive way. Well, whether yes, you certainly. Believe, I mean, I think that... Go ahead, son. Go ahead, son. Whether you believe that God created um, the moral values that he did or not... Um, you know, we we have Judeo-Christian values. We say because those values that we have been adhering to are the ones that come from the the Bible, um, Old Testament and New Testament. Um, but it, whether you believe that 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 those values actually hey, came from God, I'll, I'll or whether <laughs> or or whether or not they were um, just created by some guy, you know, and and stuck in the book, uh, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> what we do know, what we do know is this: they work. When when society adheres to the values that you read about in the Bible, um, uh, there isn't cr- as much crime. There there are people are people are uh, uh, less trouble happens. In other words, God's not just up there a big. Um, cosmic killjoy just trying to make everybody have no fun at all you know by giving us all these strict rules he's given us these rules because it it keeps us from hurting ourselves um he says um be true to your mate 
and and um, don't uh, have premarital sex because it ruins your life. You know, it, it messes things up. Okay, and and things happen inside of you when you go against those laws that that um, have lifetime consequences. Um, he says, "Don't well, get, r- r- get r- r- stoned on 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 strong drink." Well, why? Because it's bad for your body. You know, even the food um, laws were so that you would be healthy. Well, one comment I'll have to make, and I can't yet because it's 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 not Bard's logic after dark, dark yet, Cindy. Um, <laughs> but I do. I, I would have to. I would have to, you know, make comment. But I won't to Bard's logic after dark if I do even that about the comment of uh, no premarital sex because there can be some benefits for that. But we won't talk about that until after Bard's into Bard's logic after dark <laughs> because I can hey, tell hey, you hey. the story where that was ruinous for not that not happening. But anyway, hey, let's hey, get hey, back Robert. to your your point. My my point or hers? Uh, well, go ahead, uh, Cindy. If you had a, want to finish your point out, and then go ahead, Kelly. Oh, I was I was basically done. I was just saying that the laws oh, okay. that are in the Bible, they work because they were created Ooh. to to save us a lot of trouble and from hurting ourselves. Ooh, and, and before you uh, before you go, uh, Kelly, I just want to let you know, uh, and, and I may watch this. I don't know. I'm, I might try to record it there. Or, or watch it. I'll probably end up having to record it. But uh, just for for me, I, you know, as you know, I missed uh, minoring in theology for, in um, in college. So, you know, theology as a subject itself has always been something that's been fascinating to me. Um, but anyway, uh, for those who may be interested, and if you do have CNN, it might be interesting to see uh, what kind of program CNN uh, puts on for this. But I believe at nine o'clock Eastern time this Sunday. Uh, they have a documentary called Finding Jesus. Uh, so for those of you who have CNN, that might be something uh, you may be interested in looking at. I think they're going to talk about the, the Shroud of Turin and I guess some other things on there. Uh, for me, at least, it is a fascinating subject. Um, but for those who might think it will be fascinating to see. Go ahead, Sue. I, I, I don't have a whole, have a whole lot of trust in what CNN does. <laughs> I've seen the True, the, I mean, uh, and I previews. understand that. <laughs> Go ahead, Joe. No, I've seen the previews uh, for that uh, series uh, that's supposed to be coming on CNN. I, I think it's, uh, I think it's going to give people a really good insight. Um, I think it, I think it's going to. I have a very positive feeling that it's going to be a really good, uh, good show. And uh, let's go ahead and. Uh, get back on topic, we'll go back uh, to Kelly, and then we'll bring it back in, Joe. Kelly? Well, CNN telling um, America about how to find Jesus is about as good as um, the socialists promoting the free enterprise system. Yeah. I don't watch Fox News, as you know, so when, when I watch any kind of news anymore, it is CNN. Um so I mean, because I, you know, definitely has that 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 left bent. Uh, but man, you know, just after 2012, I just can't force myself to watch Fox News anymore, and I cannot stand Megan Kelly anymore. So I just I just can't. Now she's not difficult to look at. Don't get me wrong, um, but uh, I just can't force myself to watch that show. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. 
right. Now we're, we're I'm going to, I'm, okay. I, I was teasing to you when I, as far as logic after dark yet, guys. Okay, well, we're almost there. All right, so, all right, so when Cindy said, you know, our rights come from the Bible, I'm like, eh, wrong, and I have to explain that. Of course, I'm teasing Cindy. Our rights came from our creator out of his being. Well, we were born free. I, I'm looking at the Bible as God's word on paper. That's why I said that. Well, there's a bigger picture to this. Um, love always offers a choice. God, since he's given us choice and free will, he's shown us he is loving. Volition was, and freedom was woven into every fiber of creation. Now, what happens with our rights since we were born free from our first breath, what happens is, over time, our rights and liberties were put on paper. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, self-evident because it's in our heart. But when uh, a good government writes it on paper, that's when we have liberty. And, you know, Magna Carta, Constitution, blah, 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 Bill of Rights, our rights were already existed. It's just the government acknowledges it on paper. Now, God put a lot of our rights on paper that we already had. A brilliant example is Deuteronomy 19. One witness is not enough to convict a man of a crime or offense he may have committed, but only upon the testimony of two or three witnesses. The judge must make a thorough investigation. If he finds a malicious witness, the defendant may do to the plaintiff what the plaintiff intended to do to the defendant. Show no mercy. What? Bible says show no mercy. Yes. Eye for eye, life for life, truth for truth. Such a wicked thing will not be done in Israel again. A malicious witness is somebody who can just say, well, this person, um, he stole my stuff. Oh, you're going to jail because one person said that you stole my stuff. We have the right to confront our accusers. We have the right to require two or three witnesses. We have systems in place so that, I mean, if we had really evil people, they would do malicious witness acts all the time and put all their enemies in jail and have them killed. That is a natural right that we have that the Bible itself codifies. So the founders were absolutely brilliant and stunning in in putting our natural rights that are inside of our heart from day one on paper. And there has been, I almost want to say it's an eternal struggle, because it's been going on for millennia, where good men, good men who rise into a position of government and power, Good men will acknowledge our rights on paper, Sir Edward Koch, if you study his writings, um, Jefferson, etc., um, uh, Langton, uh, who else? We got uh, Blackstone, Blackstone's Commentaries on the Law. They have put our rights on paper that already existed from the creation. Evil men, this is the battle, this is the eternal battle. Evil men do not want our rights on paper. Evil men do not want our government to ensure our rights are respected. This has been an eternal battle. So when I, when I say eh, our rights are, don't come from the Bible, they come from our Creator, and He codified some. It's absolutely stunning. And so in, in this infinite battle for liberty, if you will, this infinite battle for liberty, what we have here is good men rising to power to protect and respect our rights versus evil men who want to control us for whatever purpose they deem fit. That is the struggle for liberty. 
You quieted the oh. crowd, Kelly. No, I I have to agree with that. I bet Joe would too. Uh, most of what he just said, um, those these are natural rights that God gave us uh, that we're trying to live under, and there's evil men trying to take those rights away from us. And uh, I, that's why they hate the Constitution because it's written down, um, and and they're trying to just totally, uh, you know, do away with the Constitution. That's what they want. That's their that's their goal, because they can't have our rights written down. If they give um, young people the impression that the that the, that our Constitution is just an old musty document that doesn't really work for us anymore, well, then that's how they're going to get rid of it. Well, you know the old saying: there's uh, there, there's uh, there's the price of freedom is uh, the most costly price of all. And um, you know, I I I I kind of agree with uh, a lot what Kelly was uh, touching on is, um, you know, I think right now uh, the framers of our constitution are uh, probably rolling over in their graves, seeing what's happening today, and um, it's just uh, what really is frustrating is that the Constitution uh, gives we, the people, the most important power of all, and that is the power to elect these officials, to put these officials into power. And it also grants us the constitutional um, freedom and liberties of also, uh, you know, taking them out of power. And people don't realize that they possess this this important power and... Um, I I think what's really going on is is just a lot of uninformed people who really don't have a grasp of uh, our country's history. And if you can't understand our past, then how can you understand what's happening in the present or what what or the reasons as to why we are in the situation we are in? You have to have an understanding of our nation's history and our past. And um you know, what's really frustrating is I, I see so much corruption in in both parties, mm-hmm. which is very disappointing. And I think Robert will agree with, I think Robert would, would agree that, uh, you know, it's not just a left issue or right. I, I think the corruption is incessant in both parties, and that is the fundamental mm-hmm. problem, that both parties are not working for America. And so many people continue to um, owe loyalty to a party and and think that that's more important than owing loyalty to their country or what's in best interest of their country. You know, Robert, it's kind of like, you know, people are wearing their political affiliation like uh, like you would be wearing a sports jersey, you know, like you're rooting for a sports team. And, you you know, what the saying is, you know, if you're loyal to a sports team, whether they're losing or winning, you're always going to root for them. And I think that is what is occurring um, in, in, in the two political parties that are in power. The most powerful party is the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, is that so many people are so blinded by their passion, and they feel that their loyalty is to their party and not to their country. And I think that's where, that, that, is, that is the gap. That is, that is the disconnect, I believe, in my opinion. That is the problem, because if people don't start to wake up and realize that the problem are both parties and that their corruption is in both parties and that we the people have the 
the constitutional right and privilege to elect these officials into power, we need to really start making better informed decisions when we're going to that ballot box or when we're pulling down that lever. Because if we don't, you know, I'm I'm, I'm afraid that, um, you know, what kind of country are we leaving for the next generation? Well, I think we need to get back to uh, the hanging chads because I tell you what, I don't really know how much uh, I trust the uh, electronic ballot. I, I agree with what you're saying with the voting, uh, Joe. I just my concern is, or what we are voting truly, the results we are getting. Uh, and then we can talk more about that. There's still plenty of time. Uh, but I do want to bring in a caller here. This is Peter from Philadelphia. Thank you very much, Peter, uh, for calling to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, what's going on? Um, I just wanted uh, to. Good. I just wanted to, I'm good. I'm good. I just wanted to say one thing. Um, you know, feel feel free to disagree. Um, but um, in reference to uh, God-given inalienable rights, I, I kind of haven't. I take issue when people say that, um, and I've, I've heard many people say it, but I take issue with it because people seem to forget that those those rights were fought for, and you know, obviously, if if government or other people are trying to take those rights away, then clearly, you know, they're not something that God is giving. Now, it can be – I understand what people are saying when they make that statement, but I'm saying, you know, they were fought for. Like, people died, you know, for those rights. They weren't just, you know, just handed down and, you know, this is the way it is. And, yes, as an ideology, as an ideal, yes, but – in terms of what really happened, you no know, people fought and died for those for those rights and, and, and privileges, if you want to call it that as well. Um, it's not just you know you know God given inalienable rights as though you know we were born with you know a you know 1911 in our hands when we come out of our mother's womb. Well, that's true. And, Cindy, would you like to comment on that? Whatever God given rights we have has to be maintained by us. We we cannot just, um, because we do live in a, in a fallen world, there is an enemy um, that works against uh, our God. And when we when we just let him have his way, then, well, what is, you know, what's the point of saying you have those rights if you don't take them? Why does he have to work? Why does what is the enemy have to, go against your God as opposed to just going against you? Well, that's just because I'm I'm a Christian and I, and I believe that there is a God. That, you know, if you don't believe that, that's fine and, and you can look at it in a different way. But um, it, it, he, his, the only reason I'm his enemy is because I belong to God. I, I believe in God and I follow God. So, no, I... I, I now, I, I get I get that. I'm just saying I I don't think that the powers that be are are necessarily concerned with you know a, a, attacking you for the God that you believe in. They're attacking you because they're attacking you. They're attacking you because they want to be in control and they want to be in power. And it really has oh, nothing yeah. to do with whatever God you serve. You know. Oh I yeah, think the people what, who are. I think, yeah. I think that's what yeah, people, the people get. Yeah, Go ahead. Hold on, hold on, Cindy. Let him finish. Go ahead. Sorry, Cindy, but go ahead. No, go ahead, Peter. No, I, I was just, I was just saying. I think that people get that mixed up a lot of times. Um, I mean, you know, the things that are done out here, um, you know, it's not like you don't have 
you know, despite, let's just say, everybody was Christian. It's not like you don't have conflicts of, of and, and power struggle, struggles within, you know, uh, the Christian realm. You know, there's people who are running around and they claim themselves to be Christian, but when you look at what they actually do, um, you know, especially along, you know, the lines of, you know, class stratification, well, you know, you could point to many things where they're not actually acting, you know, uh, you know, Christian. Um, so, so I just think that, you know, a lot of times people will, they add, you know, religion to, um, a, a, a conflict, you know, like example, you know, you know, the Jews in Israel will say, oh, the Muslims are attacking us because, you know, they, they hate our faith and, and, you know, we're God's chosen children. But the reality is, is the, the conflict in Israel is over, you know, land and resources and the and the arable land which is there's only so much cuz essentially you're you're in the middle east you're in the desert there's only so much land that where there's you know at, you know accessible water where you can grow crops and things like that and they just pushed out the you know the palestinians and out of palestine and have them you know living in basically little concentration camps so i'm saying people will try to you have the muslims they try to make it a holy war you have the 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 Israelites or, or the, you know, the Israelis trying to make it a holy war. And I'm like, truth be told, it's about land, power, resources in order to ensure, you know, one group's, you know, genetic survival versus another group's. I mean, that's what that's what it comes down to. It's not uh, some holy war that people try to make it out to be. Because I'm like, I mean, people can feel that way, but I'm like, when you when you add that, it throws a, a an extra complication that, I personally believe isn't really there. You know, I, I, money is the medium of exchange. Money is what's used to get things done. You know, I hear what the other caller was saying about, or, or the other the, the co-host was saying about, um, you know, we live in a democracy and our power is through the vote. But seriously speaking, we don't live in a democracy. We live in a plutocracy. If we didn't, if we lived in a true, you know, democracy, then you wouldn't have things like the electoral college. You wouldn't have things like lobbyists that represent, you know, corporations with their billions and, 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 and millions of dollars. You know, so the 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 I, the Constitution and as it was written and, and what the Founding Fathers really wanted to do, uh, many of which who were, who were deists, they weren't Christian, um, they were Freemasons, but, you know, you know what, they, what they created was a system of balance and checks, or, or checks and balances, excuse me, and that checks and balances system has been eroded slowly over a period of time in order to have, you know, the capitalist and, you know, the oligarchs in control of everything. They control the media. They control the messages that get disseminated to people. They control people's minds. They, I mean, they can tell you anything that they want to tell you, you know, in the media, and people will believe it, and people will respond emotionally. And I personally think that half the stuff that people – you know, believe is going on, you know, even if it's going on, it's over-exaggerated, it's used to manipulate people so that you don't have one concise voting block that says this is what the people want. Essentially, as long as they can keep America in this kind of 50-50, you know, blue versus red type of situation, you'll never get anything done. And that's where the people who are in power can That's a very come good point down here. And, and consume everything. They can just simply consume everything because, you know, uh, you know, a house that is divided cannot stand. And I'm saying you, all you got to do is come in there and divide things along racial lines, divide things along gender lines. You know, there's those huge gender war going on in the Internet now where, 
you know, you got you know MGTOW and men going their own way, and you got then then you got the immigrant line, then you got the Christian versus non-believer versus Islam line versus you know something else line. I mean, it, it just then you got the class divisions. So as long as they can come in there and they can split everything up, you know, then they can do whatever they want to do, and and nobody is strong enough to challenge them. So essentially, what it would take it was it would take essentially all these different groups to get over their differences, which I personally don't believe is going to happen anytime soon, you know, to basically come together, recognize what's the big, the big issues, and then all the other stuff that's minor and essentially superficial. It's like, all right, look, you and I can agree to disagree on this, but this is more important. Things like jobs and the and the GDP and, and, you know, where this country is going in terms of foreign policy, those are like the big issues. The other issues where they're like faith-based issues and things like that, I don't think that you're ever going to get anybody, you know, to agree on things like that because essentially that's why we have different religions in the first place because obviously they fundamentally – I mean, each religion in its own – conception offends the other religion there's no way for them not to offend each other even even with even with them just simply existing and not even dealing with each other because essentially one says god says this and this is what god is doing and everything else and the other one says something maybe similar or completely opposite so they offend each other even in their in their own you know presence so i, I try to stay away from that and i try to focus on what i know people's motivations are and where I where I think that you know society and things break down once you take the tangibles away from people the the very things that people need in order to survive like food and water and shelter and jobs and money and resources and things that's where the important stuff is because you can't go more than a month or a week or whatever without some of those things you know whether how you feel in your bosom you know, based on some belief system, that's you know you can argue and debate and you know that can that can that can just go on forever. But if I start taking your job away, if I start shipping jobs overseas or doing things that affect your money and affect you being able to pay your mortgage or affect whether your kids can go to a school or not, see now that's the stuff that really matters. But I think that a lot of people get too caught up in you know these other isms and things and i'm just like gosh you know i'm like if i was if i was the elite if i was the oligarchy right now i'd be like <laughs> like i would like i would be i i would just be like, I, like that, I would be like you know i mean literally i would just muhaha all day because nobody everybody everybody's fighting everybody and they're got doing their that differences, you know and, and 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 i'm saying some personally i believe i mean how many how many of these, even Democrats and Republicans, how many, how many, it's like, it's like they get in front of the cameras and then, you know, they spar with each other and then like behind closed doors, they could be like, man, you know, that, that uppercut you threw me, man, that was, you think they believe that, you know, and, and they're patting each other on the back because as long Sound as they like look like they're sports. fighting, huh? Yeah, exactly. Just like, yeah, like wrestling, you know, like they, they, they put on a show and then behind closed doors, you know, they're they're counting the money of, you know, how many, you know, did we book the house tonight, you know, the, with the WWF and stuff like that. You know, it's it, it's all it's all theatrics, you know, but I, I don't think that I don't think that your average American is is informed. I think people get dragged into 
you know, uh, these extreme uh, corners, honestly, I believe, to be pushed and peddled by the oligarchy people who are in power who put these, you know, uh, you know, loud rhetoric type of people up there that create more division where you're forced to pick a side. You know, you're, you're forced to, you know, it's like, it's like, wow, like, if I'm liberal, do I have to be, you know, anti-Second Amendment? Or if I'm conservative, do I have to be anti, you know, uh, pro-choice? Like, do I have to be? Like, that, that's the only choice that I get. I have to, I can't, I can't be, I can't be liberal and think this way, and I can't be conservative and think this way, even though I agree with that element, I just don't agree with all the other stuff. Like, you don't even get, you don't even get an option to choose. You know, you're, you're, essentially people are not even voting for who they like. They're voting for, you know, the, the, other, the other side that they've been fear-mongered into believing is, is the worst thing to, that could ever happen. Well, Peter, I think you... What's you it, what, uh, Peter, it's very, that, that, real quick, Joe. Um, that, that, uh, Joe, I have to, that, that, that's very well said. We, we, you know, we talk about that actually a lot uh, on the show, especially when we, you know, compare our... Uh, so-called uh, representatives, at least a lot of them, I wouldn't say all, you know, such as you know, Amy Murray, their, their city council person uh, we had tonight. I wouldn't include her in, the, in there. Um, but I definitely, you know, un- understand your sentiment. We do talk about that all the time and even refer to a lot of our uh, government, or at least our government or politicians as a whole, as uh, the new oligarchs. Um, so go ahead. Um, I'm sorry, Joe. Go ahead. I'm sorry about that, Robert. Uh, Peter, uh, first of all, uh, uh, thank you for uh, calling in. Uh, you know, um, I, I do understand definitely well, where jo- you're coming uh, Joe, from. Joe, real quick, I, I hate to interrupt you again, but I just looked at the clock. <laughs> and I do see that we only have about uh, 10 minutes left, folks, of the uh, live portion of the show. And we will be going into the extended period, uh, which we lovingly call Bard's Logic After Dark. Um, but that we kind of say that tongue in cheek. Uh, but seriously, though, folks, we only have about ten minutes left of the live portion. So if you like to listen to the uh, extended portion of the show, just give us a call at three four seven nine four five seven four two eight, and just listen in or chime in, whichever you prefer. But if you can't, then you have to leave us tonight. Uh, I want to thank you very much for coming to the show, and of course, you can listen to the remainder on the show on the archives. And definitely don't forget to uh, share the link uh, with your friends. Let them listen to uh, our show tonight uh, with our guest, Amy Murray, and our wonderful panelists we have here. And uh, folks who also call in or chime in either through chat or through, as we heard tonight, uh, Facebook. Uh, So definitely uh, share this link with other folks uh, for they can listen to uh, the show as well uh, in the archives. And, of course, uh, all the shows here are archived. And if you also would like to be part of the email list, uh, for the show, uh, just go to the Bard's Logic Political Talk contact page uh, where you can send me an email and where I will put you on the email list where you can get updates on what the upcoming show will be and reminders uh, for listening to the podcast as well. Uh, so, again, folks, uh, just give us a call at 347-945-7428. If you'd like to get into the show, just push the one on your number dial. Uh, thank you, Joe, for letting me be able to, to get that uh, part of the programming out there for the folks. Uh, go ahead. Of course. Thank you, Robert. Um, you know, Peter, you're I welcome. definitely understand where you're coming from, and I think that's one of the great things about our country is that we, we, we live in a democratic uh, society that 
gives us the right to, uh, you know, have freedom of speech, gives us the right to think differently, gives us the right, uh, you know, uh, whether we want to believe in religion or not. And um, I I think you touched on something very important. Um, I think, um, you know, social issues are important, but I think priorities come first. And and this is even where I have clashes with with colleagues of mine or people in, in my own base is I try to emphasize that although social issues are key, if we don't take care of the priorities like our deficit, which is $17.9 trillion and $100 trillion in unfunded liabilities, if we don't take care of the, the most important priorities like our foreign policy, our domestic policy, you know, the threat of ISIS, um, border security, um, if we don't get this economy going, uh, what I try to emphasize to so many people is if we, uh, you know, go bankrupt as a nation, well, you know, you can kiss every single social policy or belief o- away because everything will collapse. And so I try to, you know, um, emphasize to as many people, let's take care of the priorities first versus having a debate about social issues such as, pro-choice or pro-life, you know, gay marriage or whether marriage should be between a man and a woman. Although I do respect people's beliefs, I think we need to focus on the priorities, which is our deficit, our economy, getting the economy going, and also fighting, um, you know, um, terror groups such as ISIS, which pose a a, a potential threat on, on our domestic front and uh, also on, on, our, on our foreign front as well. And, um, you know, um, the great thing about this uh, wonderful country of ours is, you know, we, we're able to live in this society where we have the right to, to uh, decide whether we want to uh, follow Christianity or, or be a Muslim or, or Buddhism, or, but at least we have that right, um, you know, rights that are not given to other citizens in other countries. And so, but, um, you know, Peter, I I do agree with you that, yes, I think the priorities are being missed. And the priorities are, you know, getting this country going again, um, getting our fiscal um, situation back under control. And um, definitely, uh, we, you know, we do have our hands full with ISIS. And I think those should be priorities first and foremost before we start to get into debating the social issues. So I want to thank you for bringing up that um, your perspective on that, and uh, you know, um, you know, I do think it's important to have objectivity, and I think it's very important, you know, that um, we hear different perspectives from different people. I think that's what makes this country great, is that you know we have people from all kinds of different backgrounds with different beliefs, but that we're able to live in this country uh, without fear that uh, you know. Um, we can live in this country without fear of reprisal, um, you know, uh, for standing up for our beliefs and our convictions, you know, whether we whether it's religious related or not. And um, so, um, you know, I want to thank you for uh, calling in and, and definitely enlightening us with, uh, you know, uh, that different uh, perspective. And it definitely is a good reminder to um, a lot of voters out there that, um, you know, social issues are important, but you know, once again, the priorities must come first. And Kelly, if you'd like to uh, chime in on any of uh, 
Peter's comments, go ahead. Well, I want to <clears throat> talk a little bit about the, the planning thing because um, it relates to you there in Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. What's more, what is one of the most important questions in life? Who owns the land? You mentioned earlier who owns land. Mm-hmm. Yes, who owns the land? Um, because the land, touched on that. Yeah, through land, if you have a lot of, enough acres, you can provide for yourself, and you're not dependent upon anybody else, which is the way the colonial government thought and understand and knew. And so land is, by the way, did you know George Washington was a surveyor? Actually, no, I didn't. I can't say that, no, Kelly. (laughs) Yes, I knew that because I'm a homeschooler and I have to know that. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, I I thought he was a lumberjack, I thought he was a lumberjack that chopped down cherry trees. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Okay. All That's right. Now, here, now that, that, there's a difference between <laughs> truth and fiction. Okay. Did you say there's know. a difference We're between truth? I'm glad to hear that he wasn't chopping down trees. Okay. Uh, right. so, so what the heck does Surveyor do? He finds out where his properties are. You know, is it Henry David Thoreau said good neighbors uh, make good ba- uh, good fences? Anyway, or is it good fences make good neighbors? It means the same thing. Anyway, so surveyors are actually a very fundamental part of our society because, you know, where's our boundaries? Land ownership. Okay, so, um, you know, like I mentioned before, okay, well, I met with a bunch of potheads tonight. It's not about pot. I don't care about pot. I care about planning department, walking on your property without a warrant, and oh, are you in compliance with our ordinance? Oh, you're not. Oh, we're going to, like, start chopping down parts of your property. Oh, What? Anyway, um, what has happened here is is our county planning commission has approved, by the way, most planning commissions feel socialist because most conservatives are busy taking care of their family and their life and other things, and we have been flanked. We have been absolutely flanked by the planning commission because we feel liberals because they have figured it out. Thanks to Ebenezer Howard, another story. All right. Okay. This is how land was subdivided before the planning departments came into place. Let's see. Um, I'd like to subdivide my land. You know, my wife had a medical bill. I want to. I got, you know, 20 acres. I want to sell five off. You hire a surveyor, write a legal description, file court. You place your quarters, and then you record it in the county recorder. Done. It's over. Sell the land. That was before the planning department came on. And, of course, now it's months and months. It takes a lot of time. It took supply of land. Land prices go up. Mom has to start working. Two wage earners are needed to pay for because the supply of land is choked. All right, so um, what the hell's happened here? Well, I have seen subdivisions from the 1890s, early 1900s, where they, again, hired a surveyor, wrote a map, set corners, recorded it in the county recorder. Done. Did I mention done? That's how easy it was. And so the supply of land happened to meet the demand, and people weren't paying exorbitant mortgages. Interesting. Well, I, I want to do an allegory, which, you know, I kind of go off um, being some fictional character here or using artistic <laughs> license. So 
I'm, I'm, I'd like to tell you a story. Okay? So, right. Awesome. Right as we go in the bar's logic after dark. Go ahead, Kelly. All right. We're in after dark. <laughs> okay. Zaboosh. I'm in time warp. All of a sudden, it's 1960. Now we have a mind warp. Kaboosh. Now, I'm an avid socialist. And in my 1960s deal as a socialist, we must shred the Constitution. We must take away rights of private property. After all, it is tenet number one of the Communist Manifesto. Abolition of private property and the application of all rents of land to public purposes. The collective. So how do we do this? Since I'm an avid socialist here in my 1969 work. Well, we set up a planning department everywhere in every county. Oh, sure, there you know, in 1960, if a retired dad wants to divide their land and give their parcels to the kids, he'd simply, you know, hire a surveyor, legal description, record in the county, done. But we cannot have this for fulfilling tenant number one. So we have a planning department that establishes the minimum parcel size of land and what the can, land can and can't be used for. Well, maybe over here commercial, but they're residential and industrial. Zoning, what a concept. We saw this idea because the community must be protected from stupid rednecks. So bring in the Subdivision Map Act, say, March 26th of 1970. Then we bring in environmental laws, but who will enforce them? Oh, yeah, great. Our planning departments that I mentioned are, as we're all socialists now. Then we pass co-compliant, prohibiting people from living on their land without a building permit. Then we pass water ordinances and this and that ordinance for the planning department to enforce. Yep. You betcha. The planning department will indeed help us to accomplish tenant number one. And this will also work to subjugate to our control wastelands and the improvement of the soil generally in accordance with a common plan. That would be tenant number seven of the manifesto. We, ha- we socials have a common plan, um, but they proposed by our planners must be concealed as a general plan in the county and rural areas. And the public planners will think that they are be doing a public service. Indeed, planners will care not for the landlords breaking sweat and blood to pay for their own land. We start with planning departments in cities. Then we work to have planning departments in counties to regulate rural areas. This will fulfill tenet number nine, gradual abolition of the distinction between town, between town and country. Karl Marx was such a genius, my gosh, we, most, we socialists must work to fulfill his goal. Oh, how, the, how lovely the planning department to do our will. And planners and county supervisors will never catch the subtle incremental steps for our full regulations and our final goal of the abolition of private property. This is the planning department where we break down the rednecks in the rural areas and make them poor because they can't use their land as their forefathers did. They will get to use their land as we deem fit the benefit of the state, the benefit of the collective. Then broke, those rural folk, they will be open to endless government assistance. This because they can't use the land to provide for themselves. As planning departments grow more powerful, this will lead to tenant number four of Marx, confiscation of the property of all immigrants and rebels. Yep, we do this to the planning department. What a happy day when the planning department has infinite power. But we will change the name someday to the Community Development Department. We will have a centralized bank, tenant number five, printing money to give that will give grants from the feds to the states. 
These grants continue to the counties to fund the counties that are broke because we made them broke. But we will give them grants only if the county supervisors pass ordinances of the planning departments. We will withhold grant monies if the county supervisors do not pass our planning ordinances. Money will trump the Fourth Amendment, so protecting property in America. Endless ordinances are needed. Here it is in 1960. These are my plans as a socialist. We shall prevail in America to destroy private property and even confiscate it when people are not in compliance with our wishes. Private property must be used for the collective. To this end, swarms of ordinances must be passed, and grant money will get them passed. This will overcome the Fourth Amendment. Every time you said the collective, it made me keep thinking about the Borg. I don't know why. But I I do want to... um, Let's say this, and I unfortunately want to apologize, and unfortunately he's not on the line any longer. Um, apologize to Peter because one of the things I uh, neglected to do tonight was to let him know that, and for those who are new to the show, listening to the show, um, uh, I'd like you to know this. And uh, as I said, I apologize because I neglected to uh, tell Peter this. So one thing that's different uh, on the show is that once you do call in and uh, we get you into the show and uh, we give you the time to talk, we do try to bring things back uh, to our audience members uh, as much as we can uh, to bring them back into the show after their initial comments. And that is something uh, I regretfully uh, did not tell uh, Peter tonight. Uh, so, Peter, if you uh, be listening to this on the archive or anyone else, uh, I do want to apologize for that. I uh, should let you know. Uh, that that wasn't the case. So I believe that's why we uh, lost Peter, and he is uh, no longer on the show, because I think he believed that uh, he would be able to, um, you know, that you know once he had his say, that uh, that would be it for him for the evening being on the show. But, of course, uh, we know uh, for the regular listeners that's not the case. Uh, but, again, uh, that's something I did not tell Peter, and so uh, I'm, I'm really sorry for that uh, so me not tell him that. So uh so unfortunately we never have uh him back on the show. But go ahead, uh uh Joe, you were gonna say something. Go ahead. No, I was saying we'll that's back why, No, no, I was saying that's why Kelly is our constitutional scholar on the panel. So definitely uh Kelly, I have to give it to you. I think you know more about the constitution than probably constitutional scholars that are out there, so <laughs> I definitely think that's uh, very important. Uh, I can uh, tell that that is uh, your forte. Um, well, I, uh, I I really appreciate it, but what we have to also be aware of is the clandestine incremental plan to overcome the Constitution. And it's right, from my perspective, it's like, it's, it's right there. They have flanked us. They have flanked It's frightening. And it's interesting. Oh yeah, no, I was saying it's it's it, my my take is because you do have such an understanding of the Constitution, you're able to you're able to see that trend, and you're able to understand and, and see it from different perspectives. You see, I think knowledge is power, and I think if more people were as knowledgeable about the Constitution as as you are. Um, you know, I definitely think people would be able to understand where you're coming from and see 
uh, that coming. And I think um, what 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 what's what part of the big disconnects also with a lot of Americans is is that a lot of Americans don't have a basic understanding of the Constitution. Um, and I think that's that's a problem because that is that is uh, uh, our most important. Um, document that our founding fathers framed um, our country, based our laws uh, from. And, um, you know, um, I, I think um, more people need to um, have at least the basic knowledge of the Constitution to understand uh, the point that you brought up, that um, you have the powers that be that are trying to uh, destroy the Constitution or erode the Constitution or take away our liberties and our powers uh, and our basic rights. Well, what's stunning is how far we have fallen. I'm 48 and I finally figured this out. We have fallen so far with one of the most important questions in life, who owns the land? Very true. Well, on another subject, since uh, we we have plenty of time, and and you mentioned uh, Dan Johnson from the uh, Solutions Institute. Uh, and I did send that information, that contact information uh, to him, Kelly, just to let you know. Uh, I did send your contact information to him. And then uh, tomorrow what I'll do is I'll text Amy and, and get that information to her for um, that you want me to give her. But uh, you were speaking of uh, Dan Johnson, who said from the Solutions Institute, uh, and he uh, emailed me an article, and then there's sometimes these articles can be long, and this one kind of is, so I'll try to get through it um, uh, quickly. But he did send it to me and asked me if I've seen this, and thought since you brought him up, Kelly, I'd go ahead and, and read the article that uh, he gave us or, you know, to uh, to go over. And then uh, we'll get some comments uh, from the, the panelists, starting with Cindy. So I'd like to bring Cindy back in. Uh, and this... Uh, says, uh, the disappeared, and this is from The Guardian. Uh, this is what uh, Dan sent me. He says, the disappeared Chicago police detained Americans at abuse-laden black site. Um, it says, the Chicago Police Department operates an off-the-books interrogation compound, rendering Americans unable to be found by family or attorneys while locked inside what lawyers say is the domestic equivalent of a CIA black site. The facility, a nondescript warehouse on Chicago's west side, known as Homan Square, has long been the scene of secretive work by special police units. Interviews with local attorneys and one protester who spent part of a day shackled in Homan Square describes operations that deny access to basic constitutional rights. Alleged Police practices at Homan Square, according to those familiar with the facility, he spoke, he spoke out to the Guardian after its investigation into police political abuse include keeping arrestees out of official booking database, beating by police resulting in head wounds, shackled for prolonged periods, denying attorneys access to secure facility, holding people without legal counsel between 12 and 24 hours, including people as young as 15 years old. At least one man was found unresponsive in an Homan Square interview room and later pronounced dead. Brian Jacob Church, a protester known as the one of the NATO Three, was held and questioned at Homan Square in 2012 following a police raid. 
officers restrained Church for the better part of a day, denying him access to an attorney before sending him to a nearby police station to be booked and charged. Herman Square is definitely an unusual place, Church told The Guardian on Friday. It brings to mind the interrogation facilities they use in the Middle East. The CIA, the CIA calls them black sites. It's a domestic black site. When you go in, no one knows what happened to you. The secretive warehouse is the latest example of Chicago police practices that echo the much-criticized detention abuses of the U.S. war on terrorism. While those abuses impacted people overseas, Havon Square said to house military-style vehicles, interrogation cells, and even a cage, trains its focus on Americans, most often poor, black, and brown. Unlike a precinct, no one taken to Havon Square is said to be booked. Witnesses suspect, or other Chicagoans who end up inside, do not appear to have a public searchable record entered into a database indicating where they are, as happened when someone is booked at a precinct. Lawyers and relatives insist there is no way to find their whereabouts. Those lawyers who have attempted to gain access to Home on Square are most often turned away, even as their clients remain in custody. It's sort of an open secret among attorneys that regularly make police station visits to this place. If you can't find a client in the system, odds are they're there, said Chicago lawyer Julia Bartness. Chicago civil rights attorney Flint Taylor said Haman Square represents a routinization of a notorious practice of local police work that violates uh, the Fifth and Sixth Amendments of the Constitution. This Holman Square revelation seems to me an institutionalization of the practice that dates back more than 40 years, Taylor said, of violating a suspect or witness rights to a lawyer and not to be physically or otherwise coerced into giving a statement. Much remains hidden about Holman Square. The Chicago Police Department did not respond to the Guardian's question about the facility. But after the Guardian published this story, the department provided a statement insisting without specifics that there is nothing untoward taking place at what is called the sensitive location home to undercover units. CPD, Chicago Police Department, abides by all laws, rules, and guidelines pertaining to any interviews of suspects or witnesses at Haman Square or any other CPD facility. If lawyers have a client detained in Haman Square, just like any other facility, they are allowed to speak and visit them. It also houses CPD's Evidence Recovery Property Section, where the public is able to claim in inventory uh, property. The statement said something, something numerous attorneys and one Haman Square arrestee have denied. There are always records of anyone who was arrested by CDP and it's not any different at Hamon Square, continues. The Chicago Police statement did not address how long until an arrest or detention these records are generated or their availability to the public. The department spokesperson did not respond to a detailed request for clarification. When the Guardian reported arrived at the warehouse on Friday, a man at the gatehouse outside refused any entrance and would not answer questions. 
this is a secure facility. You're not even supposed to be standing here, said the man who refused to give his name. A former Chicago police superintendent and a more recent retired detective, both of whom have been inside Hummond Square in the last few years in a post-police capacity, says the police department did not operate out of the warehouse until the late 1990s. But in detailing episodes involving their clients over the past several years, lawyers described mad scrambles that led to the closed doors of Haman Square, a place where most never heard of previously. The facility was even unknown to Rob Warren, the founder of Northwestern University Law School Center, on a wrongful conviction until the Guardian informed him of the allegations of clients who vanished into inherently coercive police custody. They just disappeared, said Anthony Hill, a criminal defense attorney, until they show up at a district for charging or just released back on, on the street. Uh, Jacob Church learned about Haman Square the hard way. On March or May 16, 2012, he and 11 others were taken there after police infiltrated their protest against the NATO, NATO summit. Church says officers cuffed him to a bench for an estimated 17 hours, intermittently interrogating him without reading his Miranda rights to remain silent. It would take another three hours and an unusual lawyer visit through a wire cage before he was finally charged with terrorism-related offenses at the nearby 11th District Station, where he was made to sign papers, fingerprinted, and photographed. In preparation for the NATO protest, Church, who was from Florida, had written a phone number for the National Lawyers Guild on his arm as a precautionary measure. Once taken to Hamon Square, Church was explicitly asked to call his lawyers, and he was declined. Essentially, I wasn't allowed uh, to make any contact with anybody, Church told the Guardian. In contradiction of a police guidance on permitting phone calls and legal counsel to arrestees. A church left wrist was cuffed to a bar behind a bench in a windowless cinder black cell with his ankles cuffed together. He remained in those restraints for about 17 hours. Uh, he essentially figured, all right, well, they disappeared us, and, and so we're probably never going to see the light of day again, Church said. Uh, so the raid attracted major media attention. A team of attorneys could not find Church through 12 hours of active searching. Sarah uh, Gilsomino, Church's lawyer, recalled, no booking record existed, only after she and others made a major stink uh, with contacts in the offices of the corporation. Council and Mayor Rahim Emanuel did they even learn about Haman Square. They sent another attorney to the facility where the ultimate they ultimately gained entry and uh, talked to church through a floor-to-ceiling chain-link metal cage. Finally, hours later, police took church and his two co-defendants to a nearby police station for booking. After serving two and a half years in prison, church is currently on parole after he and his co-defendants were found not guilty in 2014 of terrorism-related offenses, but guilty of lesser charges of possessing an incendiary device and the misdemeanor of mob action. The access that NATO three attorneys received to Hamon Square was an exception to the rule, even if Jacob Church's experience there was not. Three attorneys interviewed by The Guardian report being personally turned away 
from Harmon Square between 2009 and 2013 without being allowed access to the clients. Two more lawyers who had been physically denied describe it as a place where police withheld information about their clients' whereabouts. Church was the only person who had been detained at the facility who agreed to talk to the guardian, and the lawyers say others fear, fear police retaliation. Okay, and it's that's only about half the article, so I won't read all of it, but that can be find, found uh, as a February 24th uh, of 2015 article on theguardian.com, and then just backslash us-news, uh, and then just look for the article there, uh, February 24th, 2015, with the title, Chicago Police Detain Americans Black Site. Uh, so, Cindy, as I said, I only read about half the article, so then the rest was lengthy. But, you know, you guys pretty much get the uh, gist of that. What, what's your thoughts, and uh, have you heard anything about that? And it did mention Florida, so I don't know if perhaps you heard anything from uh, your area. Go ahead, Cindy. Well, and you know what? We Cindy. lost Cindy, unfortunately. Oh, we that, Cindy. And we, poor Cindy. But yeah, it looks like we lost Cindy, um, unfortunately. I'm sure I'll be getting a message uh, soon from her. Uh, but, uh, well, we'll go over to you, uh, Kelly, first, and then Joe, and then uh, we'll go from there. Well, uh, how many items? Yeah, yeah, Kelly. yeah, can you hear me? We can hear you. Okay, how many how many items of due process of law uh, should I should I call for here? It's like you, you have the right to uh, counsel, you have the right to phone call, you have the Miranda rights. Okay, Miranda versus Arizona, which by the way was not um, legislatively done; it was judicially done. That's the kind of judicial activism I, I like, where judges support the rights of the people. Um, let's see, judges' orders and they kind of ignore them, uh, keeping him in jail. What the hell's going on here? This is unbelievable. I don't know what somebody's thinking, but somebody is in, in the government side is going to go to jail for this. I'm tapping on my yeah, desk. I apologize, right Kelly. I missed that. I was going. Uh, I was doing some call screening, so I apologize. I missed that. I mean, how, how many how many due process of law? I'm like, seriously. Why in the hell have people, oh, that's right, they made a mistake and they are trying everything they can to cover up their mistake. Jeez, unbelievable. Um, oh, I'll bet the ACLU is probably already on this case right now and they're just they're just chomping at the bit to, to, to just hammer somebody. I mean, I'm not a fan of the ACLU, but they do stand up for our liberty sometimes. Boy, Wow. Somebody's in serious trouble with the government agent right now. Yeah, but that doesn't really. When, was, when they said Chicago, and I'm not too surprised. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, no, that's 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 kind of scary. What you uh, you know what you were reading about uh, these uh, you know these uh, black sites that they have, and um, you know how they could just uh, d detain anyone and, and bring them to these sites, and um, you know that's 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 pretty uh, that's pretty intense. Uh, that definitely is pretty intense, Robert. Yeah, I wish we had somebody from uh Oh, okay. I just uh 
got a quote from uh, Angela who was listening, who I was on the call screening uh, from is uh, Angela is uh, has muted her mic. She is on the call, but uh, she's multitasking. So uh, Angela, thank you very much uh, for being on the call. But if you'd like to chime in, uh, take a little break from your multitasking, just push the one on your uh, number dial. And thank you for the message there on Facebook. And uh, we'll we'll get you in. <laughs> so, but I tell you what, I really wish we could add somebody from the uh, the Oath Keepers, and perhaps I'll send that article. Uh, find out, uh, you know, the, the gentleman that we had on from the Oath Keepers. I believe uh, Stuart Rhodes is, is, is who I'm referring to, and of course we interviewed him on the show too, and sent him that article to see what his thoughts uh, on there. But theirs are because we know what the Oath Keepers are those who are law enforcement officers and military who, you know, have sworn an oath actually to uh, not be a part of any of those types of things. Yeah, I definitely think that also goes back to, um, you know, um, a lot of the questioning in Capitol Hill about uh, some of the tactics that uh, were used um during the uh, Bush administration and the the big debate, Robert, of whether, uh, you know, these tactics uh, actually were we able to uh, gain, um, you know, critical information from um, detained terrorists. Uh, you, know, um, you know, during the Bush administration, uh, they uh, the CIA had a lot of what they called rendition sites or black sites where they would... Um, yeah, I've heard of those. Right, definitely. Where they would be uh, detain these um, suspected terrorists, and they would practice, um, you know, different techniques such as sleep deprivation or a waterboarding. Uh, and um, you know, the big debate um, is uh, whether um, you know um, that was viewed as um, torture, or whether that was justified, or or whether it was even successful in in getting. Uh, crucial information and um you know like i said i think that's that's kind of uh subject to uh interpretation there um that's kind of uh, a uh, a very hot uh, topic but an issue there but um uh, you know uh yeah wow i just um i'm really uh, taken aback by the article you just read because uh I didn't know that it, um, you know, that it was uh, carried out, um, you know, um, in that way. Um, I only thought the CIA um, was involved with these rendition sites, so. Well, I know there's been a growing concern of uh, the militarization of uh, the police forces here in uh, the United States, and uh, I think... uh, it's not some. This is a conspiracy theory, so I'm not saying I put a lot of uh, salt in it. But first, I want to let you know that I did get a message from Cindy, and she had to go. And then, of course, in her kindness, uh, she didn't want to interrupt us, so she went ahead and just uh, got the uh, got off the call, and then uh, messaged me to say uh, good night, everyone. And she had a great time at the show with you all tonight. And uh, you know, she bids her uh, farewell for the evening, and we'll of course. I'll see her next Wednesday when I'm still working some things out uh, next Wednesday, having a, uh, a fellow on from Newsmax magazine uh, who uh, we're looking to have uh, on the show. Just got to do some confirmation uh, for the booking for next week, but uh, let's look forward to that. Uh, so 
we'll uh, we'll find out. I'll find out soon uh, if, if we'll be able to uh, to get them. We've been we're some correspondence seemed like we had pretty much everything uh, nailed down, but we just got uh, just one more correspondence I think to go through. But I think that'll be fun, uh, interesting because he'll talk about his role there at Newsmax, and of course, you know what they're doing and uh, you know what they'll be uh, looking at uh, for the future there. So we'll definitely uh, keep you posted on that uh, to the panelists here and. We can be prepared for next week. But Cindy does give her ideas. But back to what I was saying, and now there has been some uh, conspiracy, you know, theories going on out there. And there may be, of course, in every one of these, you know, some grains of truth. And that some are thinking that you, why they're allowing all these uh, people from flushing into our 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 border across our borders, uh, and some of those, of course, being terrorists. And of course, I think there was just recently a threat from. ISIS that they were going to start bombing malls in America, namely um, the Mall of America is the one that's been named uh, to be a target of ISIS. And some are saying that, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, if those things happen and are allowed uh, for them to come in to do that is to militarize uh, our police uh, departments so that uh, later on uh, when the governments take over, they can use those new militarized police in the guise of being militarized to, in order to protect against terrorists to uh, actually be able to use them, uh, kind of like in this way, as we've seen in this article, uh, against America's people. Definitely. Well, Robert, I have to say, I think uh, this week was another another great show. She, uh, Councilwoman uh, uh, Amy, was uh, was uh, definitely a great uh, guest, and uh, uh, I think she's going to do... Uh, Continue to do more positive uh, things in the uh, Cincinnati area, and and to bring that into other urban cities. And um, I definitely think uh, she uh, she has the credentials and has an understanding of um, based on her experience of living in Japan, has an understanding and can relate to um, you know different uh, cultures and and um, you know the different issues that each ethnicity uh or group or background I may have and the clashes of that that, that currently uh has with uh, the gap between the police force and uh you know doing the outreach in, in these different diverse communities as the communities continue to grow and the population it continues to become more diverse. Uh so I think um she definitely uh has a lot of promise to um not only continue her uh, her endeavors, but uh, also, hey, you know, very she may be uh, the next uh, mayor to be, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, now you know she did talk, talk, talk well of Cranley. I've I've never been, frankly, I've never been a big a big fan of Cranley myself, and not not because he's a Democrat. I mean, no, he is a local person. He actually, uh, I believe, he grew up in the area. Uh, you know, that I'm from, so I guess, guess I was wrong about the high school I went to, but you know, be that as it may. Um, well, I never was a big uh, a big fan on him. Uh, one thing is I think when he ran, he actually ran against the streetcar, against uh, Roxanne Qualls, because uh, she was, you know, supporting it. But I think deep down he was still supporting I mean, I can, you know, that's it. I, you know, thought I support it too, but I just think, you know, and I don't have any proof per se, uh, that you know, I feel like he was disingenuous, disingenuous on um, because the, the community here was really against the streetcar because of what 
uh, the money aspect of it and being able to afford it, um, which you know was a you know my you know a concern of mine. Um, but I, I think he may have been a little disingenuous by um, by running on a platform where he was uh, supposedly against it, which I think he really wasn't. <laughs> he was just saying that so he can uh, beat his opponent. Uh, but I think yeah, I think she she would be a mineral material, and I do uh, like how she you know, offer to come back on the show and give us an update. So I really appreciate her, uh, you know, making that offer to come back on. And I, I definitely will be uh, taking her up on that. Well, definitely uh, you run a tremendous show and uh, you always... Uh, well, I appreciate that. Definitely, uh, definitely. Uh, you always uh, exceed my expectations every week, uh, you know, that the listeners can always expect... Uh, a different topic, but, uh, you know, uh, definitely uh, a robust uh, debate. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the things that really I was emphasizing before is is the major contrast between um, other talk show, uh, other sh- uh, radio shows, is that you give the power and the platform to the listeners. And uh, you uh, allow the listeners to, um, you know, speak their different uh, point of views. And I think that's what we need in this country. We lack uh, political, healthy political discourse. We lack that. And, you know, we have to fear, you know, if what we're saying is going to be deemed politically correct or incorrect, uh, you know, instead of saying, you know, you know, let's have, a, let's have a healthy political discourse, let's have a healthy debate. You know, we don't have to agree. Of course, we're going to have indifferences, but, you know, let's, let's debate the issues versus on on um you know fighting over the issues or versus on on you know dividing our nation even further you know let's let's sit down and, and let's 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 talk let's get different people's perspectives and um i believe in all my heart that uh, this show uh, gives people that platform and that power for them to be able to call in and and give that perspective and give that point of view I think that's definitely a learning um, experience for uh, each and everyone who uh, listens into your show each and every week. Well, I appreciate that, Joe. I really do. And, uh, you know, I do appreciate uh, you calling in and uh, your contributions. And uh, I really appreciate you, you know, filling in for Dan tonight. Um, you know, and he's got, he's, you know, separate things he's got uh, going on. So I really appreciate, uh, you know, you filling in uh, with him, especially at the, the short notice. I, I do really appreciate that. Uh, for you, uh, you know, be able to, to fill in, you know, the way that you have, and as I said, <laughs> under the un, under the notice that we had too. And, and one thing, I'm, you know, oh no, I just got a message from Angela on uh, Facebook. Uh, she said uh, she had to go, so she wants to also uh, big good night to everyone, and uh, she, you know, enjoyed the show. So uh, thank you very much, Angela, uh, for uh, you know coming and listening to the show tonight. And one other thing I'm I'm concerned with is uh, I do hear all the time that more more and more folks are waking up, and I, I truly hope that's the case. Uh, but sometimes I just can't help to think that there's still, you know, a vast, uh, you know, just well, what what am I looking for? Uh, I'm having a, a brain freeze there for a second. Um, can't see an apathy. That's the word I'm looking for. I knew there was a it started with an A, <laughs> uh, but I, I just feel like there's still just a vast apathy. Uh, out there, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, any, anything political or anything going on uh, within our nation. Now, I think, you know, in part it might be because, you know, everyone's lives just 
so busy and they're concentrating on just taking care of their own, uh, so to speak. Uh, but I still feel that, you know, even though there may be more folks waking up, uh, there's still uh, a, a great apathy out there. What do you think, Kelly? There may be a sense of, of maybe even a sense of hopelessness and, and, and my, either whether it's a vote or my contribution or, or whatever, uh, is not, uh, is not worthwhile. What do you think, Kelly? Well, I don't think the American people are stupid. I love the American people. They have a complex. Well, no, I'm not saying they're stupid. I said apathy. That I just don't know if they, you know, I think I think they've well, been lulled into apathy or pushed or pressed into it. Go ahead. Well, yeah, you, uh, you, you did not say they were stupid. I've heard so many people say the American people are stupid. They're not. Apathy is a result of helplessness. Sometimes people are apathetic because they're lazy. Sometimes people people are apathetic because they're not healthy. Sometimes they're apathetic because they feel there's absolutely nothing they can do. As we continue to empower the American people, the apathy will disappear. It's that simple. And so as we keep informing, educating, and empowering people, they will start stepping up to the plate, hitting the ball, getting singles, getting doubles, getting more singles, getting on base. We're going to have home runs here eventually (laughs) with a lot of people on base already, grand slam. So we have to keep going in this quest for liberty. We have to keep going in the sense of empowering the American people to know their rights, live their rights, be their rights, and hold their government accountable. And we're on our way. We really are. It's painful. It's slow. It's, it's, It's Sometimes dull and boring, but we just have to just keep going. But we're doing it. That's what's exciting here. Yeah, that's I, I agree. Um, I agree. Um, I think uh, you know, uh, to a degree, um, you know, you have a certain faction of Americans that feel uh, a lot of hopelessness and um, feel that um, you know the country is just past the point of no return. But I think you also have a larger faction of Americans that are actually for the first time waking up, and and that's progress. And that's a step in the right direction, and that's what needs to happen. People need to start waking up and getting back in touch with reality and uh, being aware of, you know, what are the fundamental problems that are occurring in America and what we need to do to turn this country around. Because one great thing about America is we've always been able to overcome insurmountable odds in our 230 years of history. And we've always been able to defy the odds. And we've been um, in pretty bad situations throughout our nation's history, but we have always overcame those odds and and unified uh, as Americans. And at the end of the day, um, you know, I have very faith and confidence that um, America with the right leadership, um, you know, will once again reemerge uh, as the uh, as the free well no we are still the free leader um, free um, leading country of the world but what I mean is um, you know emerge as once again um, you know the most powerful um, global nation in the world because uh, China is 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 quickly uh, you know getting close and, and catching up and mm-hmm. you know they're the second biggest global um, powerful most global um, uh, economy, and um, if we don't uh, if we don't start turning things around at home, 
here, um, you know, 10 years from now, um, you know, we can fall from the, our um, from where we've always been for for the longest time. We've we've been for over 100 years the most um, powerful global economy in the world. And we definitely don't want to um, um, lose that. And um, so, Certainly. yeah. Right, because, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, and nothing goes with the, you know, with power as well. And if, you know, the United States isn't the world's, you know, uh, hegemon, then someone's going to fill that spot. And we certainly don't want it to be uh, China or Russia. And if it isn't the United States, uh, that, would, that would be the two others uh, that would fill that gap. And it makes you wonder, what well, you know, because there's a lot of folks saying, oh, well, you know, the, the United States shouldn't be the world's lone superpower, you know, what have you. But just think of a world if that wasn't the case. You know, I mean, there's always going to be, you know, in my opinion, I think that, you know, maybe eventually they'll do a, you know, the, a one-world government. We'll see. But still, that'll create a, a hegemon of sorts, and there's always going to be one. And at this point, we'd rather it be, you know, the United States. We'd rather it be, as you pointed out, uh, Joe, uh, China, or I wouldn't say Russia. Definitely. I mean, uh, but it is, you know, as you said, Joe, it's going to be leadership. Exactly. Exactly. We definitely need leadership more than ever. But uh, I have faith that our country uh, will rebound. I, I have faith we've always overcome adversity before. We've we've overcome insurmountable odds, and I believe uh, this is probably the biggest uh, challenge we have ever faced because we've never been, uh, you know, seventeen point nine uh, trillion mm-hmm. dollars in the hole. So this is a precedent for us. But uh, I, do, right. I I I do believe we can turn things around. But we have to act. You know, uh, time is not um, in our favor with, uh, you know, you making a valid point that China and Russia, you know, uh, are uh, are right behind us. And, uh, you know, they're ready to fill in that vacuum. You know, they've been wanting to fill that vacuum for a long time. And so we want to make sure we don't give them that opportunity. And hopefully uh, the 2016 uh, elections will... Um, will give us uh, that dark horse, will give us that uh, leadership quality uh, as we had in Reagan that was able to uh, take a, a country that was on fiscal decline uh, and that had a, uh, a nightmare of a foreign policy and, and turn that around. And I think that's that type of leadership that we need to not only unify the country, but to get the country going in the right direction again. So a lot is writing on 2016, yeah, well, Robert. No, 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 I agree with that in, in a bit, in a large part. And I, I think uh, we're going to answer the question tonight about Kasich uh, running for president, or at least she, she said something about a vice uh, presidential. Uh, literally, I didn't say anything about the, a vice presidential uh, pick for Kasich, but I would find it interesting uh, come 2015 if she doesn't make some kind of prediction uh, here on Bard's Logic Political Talk tonight, <laughs> that Kasich uh, could be the a vice presidential candidate. So I'm wondering if she, uh, and I'm not saying it's the case, but I wonder if she knows or at least speculates uh, more than what she uh, let on. And, of course, you know, she couldn't anyway. And, and she gave the answer that I, I pretty much thought that she would 
uh, give, and, that, and that's okay. I mean, it's okay that she gave that, you know. And that answer, I kind of figured uh, she would, but of course, uh, being in the position that she is, that's, you know, <laughs> that's kind of the given, uh, the given situation. Plus, you know, uh, when she stated, you know, well, let's just take care of you know business now, and then you know, she worried about what if she runs something else, and you know, she did give Cranley some some, some kudos, which surprised me a little bit. But she's got to work with the guy, so um, you know, be that as it may. Um, I admire you know, there's, her you know, Yeah, no, I think so. I think so. so we've uh, we've had her on the the show before, and I've actually had the opportunity. Uh, to meet her personally, um, you know, and, and talk to her a few times, uh, you know, off of the show. And I even went, um, you know, so that that was a, a, a good experience. So she seemed like, you know, you know, for the you know, two, three times that I've met her, you know, off of the show, I think she's a pretty, uh, pretty good you know, person. Uh, so, yeah, and, and unlike you, Joe, I was, uh, I was pretty impressed with her. But I do see I only get about uh, – you know, 10 more minutes uh, before I've got to, uh, or maybe even a little less than that, uh, close things out uh, for the night. Uh, so, Kelly, I, I knew them. You know, I really wish I could have had that. Uh, now, now that we are in Bard's Logic After Dark, I would like to have that uh, kind of tongue in cheek, no pun intended, talk uh, with or discussion with uh, Cindy about the whole premarital sex thing. But, um, <laughs> oh, well, come I mean, something really I, simple with that. Because, because um, how, how do you know? I mean, if you don't, how do you know when you get married and then you're not not compatible in that way and then you get divorced? So that's not good either. But go ahead, Kelly. <laughs> well, why why do Baptists not believe in premarital sex? Because it why leads to dancing. Because it leads to dancing. Okay. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm, I kind of went over my head, Kelly. Well, if you're religious, you get like totally you, you bust up laughing because the Baptists are like, "Oh no, no, you shouldn't dance, shouldn't dance, no, no dancing." Like, well, we'll not be oh, Okay. <laughs> oh God. Okay. I, I took, it took me a bit to get that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway. All right. Yeah. Sorry, uh, Joe. We just um, have to. We have just have to go over it and and and, uh, and be some red-blooded American man here for a second. But uh, go ahead, Kelly. <laughs> As I said, I was gonna say that it's kind of tongue in cheek, but but on a serious note, I mean, if you don't, then you're not. Uh, you know, if you're gonna be compatible or not, and then you could be divorced and have a miserable rest of your life, and that's not good either. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well. Anyway, uh, let's see here. Yeah, we well, you know it comes down to something really simple. Liberty is a state of being, and we recognize the state of being of we were free from our first breath then uh, basically things just fall in place. And there you go. I think that's uh, a good way to uh, to close things out there, Kelly. Uh, and then I just got to think, yeah, we'll look uh, to see if we get the gentleman from Newsmax on next week. Uh, as I said, I'm just waiting for one last um one last correspondence with him. Uh, but we do get uh, some, you know, guests coming on for uh, the remainder of March of, of what we're looking at. Uh, so uh, we'll look forward uh, to that. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we also have um, a gentleman co- 
coming on on the 25th of March, uh, much like uh, when we had uh, Terry uh, Trussell on telling us about uh, some things that uh, he was having trouble with, uh, some court system uh, when trying to get together a common law grand jury and the troubles that got uh, got him. Uh, we have another gentleman coming on uh, on the 25th. And then we're going to be, I'm just give you a little, on the 11th, uh, we got a gentleman, we're going to be talking about his book. So we'll be doing a uh, book review of sorts uh, with uh, Joe on the 11th. And so, of course, with uh, working on the gentleman from Newsmax for the 4th of March. And then uh, I do have someone I'm working on. Uh, I won't go out uh, and say who it is yet. Uh, because I'm sure because it's something going on in the news right now, so they may be more difficult uh, to get a hold of, um, you know, because let's just say there was a trial involved um, about a woman's uh, husband who was killed, uh, who uh, was big in the media uh, that that we heard uh, uh, lately. Uh, So the trial's been in the media a lot, trying to get a hold of... uh, uh, the spouse of the gentleman who was uh, murdered, and it was real, it's real uh, big in the news. So uh, until we can get uh, more details on that and, and if we'll be able to get her on the show or anyone else in the, of the family members on the show, uh, we'll work on that. So I won't say who request that is just in case we won't be able to get them for quite some time because they're definitely going to be in, in high demand, especially since the, the court case. Uh, the person who, who killed her husband and pretty high profile case, um, well, probably in high demand by a lot of <laughs> talk shows and, and things of that nature uh, in the very near future. Uh, but but if, if we get something of that, uh, of course, I'll keep uh, everyone posted. Uh, but I do want to thank everyone for uh, coming to the show tonight. It was great to have Amy back on. Uh, Joe, of course, you know, once again, I really appreciate you on the short notice uh, filling in for Dan. Uh, as our uh, fill-in panelist tonight. I appreciate it. And, of course, uh, we look forward to having you on the show again. Uh, And, uh, Kelly, thank you, Joe. Uh, And, of course, Kelly, you as always. And then, of course, uh, Cindy, uh, having her in as well. And, of course, you know, our callers. And those also we've uh, seen uh, contributing in chat and also those on Facebook. Because I understand that not everyone's comfortable uh, with calling into uh, a radio show, but uh, they'd still like to be heard, have what their thoughts uh, put out, out there uh, to the people. And so that's why, you know, when I can, uh, I like to bring things in from comments uh, from chat we have here and also comments from those who uh, go in the chat. Um, but also, of course, folks who are listening, and while they're not in chat, may make some comments on Facebook. Uh, so I like to bring them in uh, as well into the show. And so, of course, so folks, if you do have uh, any ideas that you'd like to see or any guests uh, that you'd like to have on the show, and uh, we've done this before in the past, uh, where people say, hey, Robert, can you try to book uh, this gentleman or this certain person? And we're able to get them on. Uh, so if you have any ideas, just go to the Bard's Logic Political Talk website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com and go to the contact page and tell me what your ideas are of who you'd like to get on the show, and I will uh, work diligently to try to uh, bring them on. And if you have a topic you'd like to discuss as well, of course, 
we would like to have that on too. And so just you can use the same contact page uh, for that. And of course, you know, share all the links uh, to the show uh, so that more people will listen better. And of course, if you also want to be on the email list, uh, you can do that by going to the contact page on the website as well. And of course, definitely check out the Patriot Journalist Network at www.patriotjournalist.com. So, folks, uh, have a good night and a good week. And I will end tonight, as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music and more about her by going to www.aubrey, and that's with a B, A-U-B-R-E-Y, Ashburn.com. And you can also hear, uh, it's pretty deep in our archives, but you can also hear uh, the interview I had with Aubrey some time ago, uh, so you can hear that too. But we will play the song, and so thank you very much, folks. Have a good night, and take care. Good night. Thank you.